Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do, the podcast where I, your host, Deader Dennis Maller, interview artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And today on the program, I actually reconnect with an old high school friend, a guy who graduated a few years ahead of me. He had a very uh, interesting and exciting career as a clown and now as a comedy juggler and, of course, as a father. His name is Brian Fulton, better known on stage as Brian Dangerous. Uh... It was a good, fun talk with him. Uh, before we get into the interview, though, let's talk about a couple things going on in my life, because why not? Uh, this was a hard interview to do physically. I don't usually, I mean, oh, what's physically difficult about a podcast? Well, d- doubtful listener. Uh, what's difficult is uh, I just had a few weeks ago, just had surgery. Uh, and it's very difficult getting around moving and breathing and stuff like that, especially breathing. So what happened uh, is I had not one, but two gigantic abdominal hernias one umbilical one not umbilical uh and uh growing out of my stomach and um all right before i get let's talk about this i uh these hernias showed up in 2018 and they've been a humongous source of anxiety for me um i'm not a vain person i don't like to think that i am but sometimes certain physical attributes get the better of me and my, and my mental health. And these hernias were one of them. Well, granted, I will say, I did quite enjoy making TSA agents very uncomfortable every time. They're like, hey, what's under your shirt there? I'm like, my insides. And I'd lift up my shirt and they'd see a giant bulge from my stomach and then they'd get freaked out and weird. And I'm like, do you want to touch it? They're like, oh, girls, no, get out of here. Leave me alone. Stop. I did quite take a lot of enjoyment in making TSA and doormen feel uncomfortable. But... Uh, Everywhere else, I was very uncomfortable about it. Uh, it was very unsightly. It was stood out both uh, literally and figuratively. Uh, and being already overweight, it just made me look massively, grossly way more overweight. You know, and I did everything I could to, to hide it, and it still made me uncomfortable for a very great number of years. And this was a very long, enduring process to get to the point where this surgery can fix it. We'll find out if it actually did fix it or not. Uh, I mean, I look, you know, I look down my stomach and I see just my stomach. I don't see an extension of my stomach. We'll see if it holds up. Uh, But I'm in a lot of pain. And I really sometimes forget how much of my life I speak from the diaphragm, you know, which is right there in that area. Every time that moves, like for the first five days, I could not muster up enough air to push out words. I would open my mouth to talk and then Nothing would come out because I didn't have enough air in me to push out words. It's very uh, frightening when you have made your entire life's career about your words and you saying them. I'm not a writer. I'm a performer. I'm a comedian. I'm a podcaster. I'm an interviewer. I am a talker. I'm a storyteller. I need my words and my breath to express myself to other people. Tie my hands together. I don't care. I'll still be able to talk. I'm not Italian. I am Italian, but I'm not that Italian. (laughs) So I had this interview with Brian. Uh, While it's 95 and like 80% humidity here in Boston in my studio. Um, If you can hear a fan running in the background, it's because I don't have air conditioning down here and it's hot. So deal with the sound of the fan. Deal with it. You probably have similar noise going on somewhere wherever you are at listening to this right now. It just becomes part of the atmosphere. 
But anyway, so incrementally every day I'm getting a little more better, breathing better, being able to talk without getting winded, being able to talk. You know, I can stand up and down. Still can't lift things. It's very crucial that I do not do any real physical activity, especially lifting, pushing, pulling. But coming down in this studio to record a conversation was a little trying in a very hot heat. If you're a long-time listener, you know that I have a heart condition. The heat does affect me drastically with me and being fatigued. So being overheated and in pain and barely able to breathe and talk, well, that made a conversation difficult. Luckily, my guest, Brian Fulton, was able to handle his side of the conversation and tell us, very uh, succinctly and uh, very eloquently what life of being a clown was when he worked with Barnum and Bailey Circus. He went to Clown College. I hadn't heard of, well, I heard of Clown College. I didn't know Clown College was a real thing until Brian went to it. So he, he dispels a lot of myths about being a clown. He tells us the real life incident, what it's like being in the circus, the biggest circus. And then, you know, the, the dangers and fears of going out in the world of clowning and entertainment alone by yourself without the world's biggest entertainment entity behind you. We talk about that. We talk about some social media. We talk about transitioning as he's getting older, how his act is changing. It's a very interesting conversation, I think. I hope you find it is, too. Uh, Brian really opened up about a lot of things. Um, and it's, it's, it's funny because we were just guys at the same high school, a couple years apart. Uh, and then he went out and had this great, entertaining, fascinating life. I'm glad he shared it with me and he's going to share it with you. So please enjoy my conversation with former clown and comedy juggler and father, Brian Fulton, AKA Brian Dangerous. How well, how much can you? Uh, you know, I'm gonna leave the fan on if I need to throw it out. It is way too hot down here for me to not do this without a fan on. It's. Uh, Are you in a basement? Yeah, I'm in the only basement that has that is not cool at all. It is <laughs> hot and and humid down here all the time. It's more humid in here than it is outside in Boston. It's crazy. That's where the moisture goes to die. Um. So all right, let's let's go way back. All right, this is gonna be uh. A lot of this is going to be me telling you, uh, asking you to tell me the story of your life because uh, we don't, I, it's weird. All right. Here's the thing about memories. When it comes to like memory people, sometimes you just remember incidents and things. You remember everything about their lives. And sometimes you just remember that it happened or that you knew that person or feelings about the incident. You don't remember the incidents, but you, you remember your emotions about the the incident. And you kind of fall in that last category where it's like, when I think about high school, I remember some few things in Keanu, but I, what I really mostly remember is like, Brian is one of the coolest, most interesting people I know. <laughs> like you really were like, you were the, you know, in my, you know, uh, my, my freshman year, you were, I think a senior. Cause I graduated, uh, you graduated what? 97 or 98? 96. So 96. Yeah, so yeah, you graduated my freshman year. You're a year ahead of my brother, John. Yeah, first year of the uh, the magnet program. Yes, yeah. that you weren't allowed in. <laughs> right. But I auditioned everybody to get in. There. 
Which, by the way, all right, let's talk about that magnet program real quick because I was the first year of that magnet program, and I wanted there was three different parts of it that I tried to get into. Um, I tried to get into the regular visual arts program, um, and I filled out everything in the application, put the portfolio and everything together, and I uh, gave I needed a recommendation from my middle school John, uh, general John Stricker art teacher. I needed her to give me a recommendation. I gave her the paperwork to fill out, and then she never did. She literally gave me the paperwork back two weeks after the the the, the paperwork was due. She's like, "Oh, here, I finally filled that out for you." I was like, "Cool, cool. thanks." <laughs> so that didn't get uh, turned in, um, and then I know I wanted to apply for vocal music, and I wanted to apply for the theater program. Um, I. I don't know. I guess I, I never finished the application for the vocal music program, and I, but I finished everything for the theater program. I had to, you know, do a monologue and write down, you know, fill a whole form about your, your acting background in acting with your inspiration and stuff like that. I did the whole paperwork, turned everything, gave it to my brother, John, who was going to the school at the time. He's like, here, can you go turn this in for me? Because at a middle, as a middle schooler, my classes started before the high school started. And then mine went later. So it's like I would go to school before him and then get out of school after him. So I didn't have time to get to the school to turn this in. So I gave it to him. All right. He goes, to turn, you know, I was like, here, please turn this in for me. Just drop it off. Then he's like, yeah, 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 whatever. I was like, hey, did uh, so like I'm waiting to hear back from the thing. Did, did and the same thing when he turned in goes, oh, no, I just threw that away. I'm like, why would you do that? It's like, because I don't like you. I'm like, why would you do that to me? Why? Like he was part of the people who was mad about the program. He's like, I can't get in the program. You're not going to get in the program. Yeah, so that that I I was not a part of the official magnet program either because total big brother dick move. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and is it any wonder him and I haven't talked in eight years? Anyway, oh now that the sad part of the <laughs> of the podcast is over with, <laughs> that was the thing I remember. Or so going back then, it's like there's I remember like you're like in, in the gym class telling always telling stories in the gym class and stuff like that. Um, I remember. Uh, like the uh, sm- smell of the what is it? Smell of the grease, uh, smell of the crowd, roar of the grease paint. Smell like going to see that play paint. and just like, mm-hmm. oh, here's this dude that I thought was just a total meathead jock actually is like an amazing actor and made me as a te- t- uh, made me as a as a 15 year old kid cry out of the emotions, <laughs> you know. And then like yeah. you and John Shank did were like the jock actors, like you were the big guys yeah. on the on the on the sports team, but also like the big guys in the theater department and, and the acting and like doing real acting and heavy, heavy work, uh, lift it like do, as high schoolers doing real heavy lifting work on and the acting stuff. And it was very inspirational. I was like, man, I really, that's that Brian guy. That's a cool thing. And then of course what happens is, you know, you graduate, you leave. And then we're only left with the rumors that other people will tell us. Like yeah, for <laughs> years it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, all the rumors that she was like, he went to Callen college. He's he works at Barnum and Bailey. He plays uh, basketball at Lawrence Fishburne. He's going to be doing this movie and this and that. And you're like, wait, what things are real? What things are because none of it sounds possible. Like Clown College. Let's start with that uh, because uh, oh, and then the only other incident that I really have of you is like after Clown College, which I know you went to Clown College, but we want to hear all about it. You came back to uh, after Clown College came and hung out at wrestling practice one day. And this is when, like, the solidifies, like, Brian Fulton is one of the coolest people I've ever known in my entire life. You came in, you're sitting behind um, her coach who's talking, and you're just goofing off. And you took your baseball cap, and you started balancing it on your nose. 
And we're all just in wonder, like in shock, like, what is he doing? That's amazing. Because, like, you can see so many juggler events or balancing acts or there's so many of these things that are just completely faked out. Like, I can buy things and be like, oh, look, it's balancing on my head, but it's a fake prop that straps to your head. You know, like, fucking uh, Gallagher had the hat that he would spin on his finger and it's just actually attached to a handle. Right. But this is a baseball cap. Like, this is a Met. You're wearing, like, a Mets baseball cap. Is he really going to go through the effort of having a fake hat that can balance on its own and wear it all the time for the one incident? No. And this is what solidified it. You got up and you walked over and you grabbed the only chair in the room and then you balanced that chair on your chin and you're like, wow, this, you really learned how to do something amazing. Because again, can't be a prop chair. You didn't sneak in earlier that day, leave a fake chair there in hopes that you can later find a reason to show everybody. Yeah, right? So it's like, wow, you, this, you have, you, you left here and you, got real skills and talent and yeah, stuff like man. that. Now, obviously it's because you went to clown college, which sounds like a joke. It does. It, it, it a lot of people didn't realize it's a real place. Uh, some people were like, are, are you kidding? Cause I had, I had a ton of scholarships when I graduated high school uh, for theater. I had uh, what was called the Maryland distinguished scholar of the arts, which was good for any college in Maryland. That um, was like close to $90,000 in scholarships. And uh, I chose to go to clown college, which, you know, it was my, my dad was he was like are you kidding me he's like really because i was planning on i was planning on going to like either university of maryland or towson um and and getting a bfa to teach theater so uh when i told him i was like you know i'm gonna, i'm kind of i'm gonna take a break from school and, and and see what this clown college thing's all about he was like he, he was not on board <laughs> he was just like are you kidding me so he actually made me pay for everything he made me pay it was it was like the school itself was tuition free but um to get down there I did, it was like two months down in florida plane tickets food you know rent uh things like that so it ended up costing about three grand um and so he's like you're gonna have to pay for it you know and i was slinging snowballs uh for for years and working at costas uh you know slinging crabs and stuff so i had <laughs> money saved up but i was like um, later on, it ended up being the, uh, the best decision he had ever done as far as my career, uh, making me pay for it because, um, about halfway through I got real homesick and I wanted to come home and he's like, yeah, you can come home, whatever you want to do, man. He's like, just remember you paid for it, you know? And I'm like, oh shit, that's right. I did pay for it. So that was, uh, he loves to tell that story too, about how, you know, how he made me pay for it. But yeah, I mean, clown college is a real thing. Um, how did you find out about clown college? Cause if I, there's no way, the way I heard about clown college is because you went to clown college. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it wasn't one of these things that I ever heard about. I never grew up like I, we seen the circus, you know, I came to the Baltimore arena and things like that. We would go a couple of times, but I never like longed to be a clown with Ringling Brothers Circus. I was never like my childhood dream, which is like, well, a lot of, a lot of the clowns, like that's all they ever wanted to do was be a clown. So, um, <clears throat> I was, I was like that meathead jock guy that was like, kind of like, you know, love theater as well. But like, um, I think probably beginning of my senior year, Miss Powell, who's our, the theater teacher, Miss mm-hmm. Powell Krosky, she um she gave me the flyer because the the show was coming to the baltimore arena usually in, in march we played um so she was like they send out to, to all the theaters around school the high schools and stuff like that um the audition flyer for for clown college and um she's like normally i just throw these away i get them every year she's like but this year i think uh you, you know you're the first time i think that that you really are a good candidate so i'm like all right let me check it out like whatever it's <laughs> it sounded cool like the circus um so I went to the Baltimore Arena. I had to take off school. My mom took me down there, and there's a big, long line. It was probably like 50 or 60 people in line um, to audition. And I'm like, 
you know, what is it? Like people are juggling. So I didn't know how to juggle. I didn't have any like circus, circus skills. I mean, I was good at improv and uh, I was like physical, physical theater, you know, like slaps and falls and stuff. I think I could probably, you know, walk my way through that without getting hurt. But other than that, it was just like, I had this energy to like, and, and it's this like willingness to just do stuff. <clears throat> so we're, I remember we're in line and I, like all these people are like practicing their juggling and stuff. My mom's looking at me like, I don't think this is going to be for you. And then I get in, you know, and everybody warms up and it was really cool. It was like, you know, to be on the floor of the circus and like being on the floor of the arena and like looking up into the seats. And so it was, it was a really cool experience. And, uh, and I, I did, I did, I guess I did really well that, um, that audition. Um, and, 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 what no, did you no. have to do in your audition since since you didn't have any previous clowning experience? I mean, right. Nancy uh, or Miss Powell was an amazing theater teacher. Like she went, like you hear some people, they talk about the Meisner method and they talk about uh, immersing yourself in character and they, you know, you, you know, uh, what, what, what is it that Daniel Day-Lewis does? Uh, uh, Stanislavski, no. Or, um, or Stanislavski is another method, yeah. but it's the, you know, like, oh, I'm in character all time, even offset yeah. like that. You know, some oh, places yeah. teach you straight that. Pal taught all of that. Method, like, method acting, yeah. yeah. method acting. She taught you all of that stuff. Like, in my experience with her, she was like, yeah. here's how some people do it. Here's how other people do it. And you hear a lot of people in acting classes like, oh, we spent an entire day for six hours just pretending we were trees, you yeah. know, or walk around you know, like she animals. Was, she did she so, a lot of that deal. stuff. She uh, was the real deal. So, sure. like, I'm sure you had the capability <clears throat> from her of doing, like, just physical silent acting and yeah. stuff like that. So what is it in a clown college audition did they ask you to do? Well, you know, it's crazy. Like there, um, there it was, that you can kind of like knowing now what like, like just kind of what they were doing. But, but from that perspective, as just a kid, I didn't know what, so I was just kind of listening. They were like, there was going to be some improv. First it was like a warm up. So everybody, because, you know, uh, clowning is very physical. So everybody had to like physically warm up and they would do this um, warm up routine, kind of a little bit of cardio, maybe like five, five minutes of cardio, but it was fun. They were doing like, like, like shaking your arms out and just being just all willy nilly. And then they kind of gave you, they kind of gave you scenes where, you're just walking around the the ring and they would call things out and they would be like, okay, now it's, you're, you're in, um, on the moon and, and there's the gravity's, uh, you know, zero gravity and blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, so you kind of float and say, so they want to see how you move basically. Hmm. Um, and then they would just keep throwing things out like, okay, now like you're, a, you're a dog and, and blah, blah, blah. So, so it would be kind of like, like that kind of stuff. A lot of wow. improv, just a lot of improv stuff. And it was probably the whole audition itself was probably only about half an hour and then um, it, it was just like a lot of movement, a lot of like giving you scenarios like, okay, the guy at the very top of the arena is, you know, is eating his popcorn and you got to make him laugh. Like how they want to see if you can play real big. Um, so it was kind of cool perspective. It wasn't uh, necessarily like technical stuff. Um, and then at the end, they, they said, like, if you had a skill, you could bring it, could show it like, you know, whatever. So I think I did like a backflip and a cartwheel. <laughs> like I didn't have any juggling stuff, you know, like, and uh but uh, so so it was like, and I didn't really think nothing of it. I was just like, oh, okay, whatever. And then um, the audition was over, and probably about a week later, maybe two weeks later, the uh, the director of clowning at the time, his name's Dick Monday, great guy. Um, he was uh, he, he called my Dick house. Monday sounds like he's the arch nemesis of Garfield. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> no, but he, yeah, he's a great guy. Um, and he uh, he called my house and. Uh, Back in the back in the day when you had the phone attached to the wall, you know, I'm like I'm talking to him, and I'm, he's like, "Hey, you know, you did really well. We want to." He wasn't at that audition, and he's like, because he was watching video and stuff. He's like, "I wanna, I wanna invite you to audition in D.C." 
um because the circus had moved and it was like at the mci center at that time which i don't know what it's called now but um yeah it was, it was, we just refer to it as the phone booth because yeah <laughs> it's only been owned by uh phone companies, phone companies Verizon, yeah. mci sprint yeah so uh he's, he's like can you can you come down and i'm like all right well let me talk to my mom you know I'm 16 17 years old 17 years old i think and uh my mom gets on the phone and she's like my mom is like a hard ass like hard as nails she does not mess around when it comes to the kids, she's like, and who is this? And he's like, oh, hi, you know, blah, blah. He's explaining his whole thing. And uh, and he's like, you know, I, I just wasn't there, so I want to see him in person. And my hey, mom's uh, like, hey, lady, it's uh, Dick Monday. Can, your ki- yeah. can you bring your kid to come see me in D.C.? Like, that yeah. does sound very lecherous. <laughs> yeah. Like, come in, he wants to be a clown. Hey, no. but, I'm going to um, show him how, some, how to do some face painting. But he's uh, no, he, so, so he's, he's, ta- he's talking to my mom, and my mom's like, you know, giving him the ride. She's like, she's like, well, does he have a chance? Because I got to take off of work, and he's got to take off of school, and we got to go all the way to DC, and that's an hour trip, blah blah blah. And like, and I'm like, they're like, mom, mom, you know, like, and, uh, no, that's that's Thunderhog for you. It's like, it hey, so look, I got to take off from work to yeah, take you. Like, that's the kind of life that other people don't have to like. Yeah. Just, trust me, Towson kids' parents don't have to worry mm. about. Hey, look, yeah. is this going to be a waste of my time? Because I only have so much PTO to take right. care of my kids future with yeah yeah my mom went total dundalk on him and he's like oh yes ma'am you know like i, I would i wouldn't be calling if he didn't have a shot and i just that's why i want to see him in person and blah so long story short we, we ended up going to dc for the callback and i was a lot more comfortable because i knew kind of what the procedure was and then like i, I remember there was a there was a split second uh of of i knew exactly when i i made i, I was like i, I got this I, you know there's no question in my mind my mom was there too and she saw it and i'm She's like, uh, they were doing something like everybody's like uh, walking on fours, like, be, you know, doing something. And, and they switch to like, OK, be a cow. You know, now we want you everybody to be a cow. So everybody's like, you know, walking or just mooing and stuff like that. And I immediately just went like I was tipped and I was like, couldn't get up, you know, and I, and I knew like they, everybody was crying. They were laughing because I was like, you know, really selling it. And I was like trying to paw at people and stuff. They went nuts. And uh, I knew like the, the director was laughing. The clowns were laughing. And my mom was like that. She's, she's like, I have to start preparing myself for you to be in a circus because you definitely got. And then sure enough, um, he, he called me when I, uh, when I was down in, uh, when I was down in the ocean in, in senior week. And, uh, he called my house first to tell me that I was accepted. And, um, and, uh, he, <laughs> my mom called up and, you know, I was there with like, you know, Todd and the Amaze and things like that, you know? So, so we were, uh, we were doing a lot of stuff. And, uh, and I, I remember telling everybody at the at the condo, I'm like, guys, if a guy named Dick Monday calls, it's serious. Don't be a jerk, you know. Like, let me have the call. <laughs> like, try to explain to the WI crew, how, you know, to be serious for a minute. While everybody's like, you know, 84 Miller's lights in. And um, but yeah, he called me, and then he's like, you know, I just wanted to tell you you were accepted to Clown College, you know, blah blah blah. And he could tell that I was probably a little intoxicated. He's like, I'm going to give you another call in about a week when you can actually remember this conversation. And I was like, okay, great, man, great. So yeah, so that's when uh, I knew I was accepted. It was pretty cool. Wow, that's that's that. I love the tipping of the cow thing because that shows at a young age that you're like, oh, I need to stand a part of the yeah. others and do something completely different, which clearly obviously worked in your benefit and that's really what so much of our industry is at least especially me as a comedian yeah so much of my industry is always having to be original having to have that thought that no one else is going to have and being yeah. able to express it in a way that nobody else is going to do and then it is that <laughs> separates the best artists from the others is who can be an individual who can be original who can be 
And I don't want to say different because sometimes that comes out the wrong way. Everyone right. thinks that, oh, I'm being different. I'm going to shuck the norm. No. What right. you need to do is create the norm, you know, take the norm and yeah. do it in an original fashion. Yeah, uh, because, I mean, you know, too, from doing comedy, like uh, in the entertainment industry, everything's been done. Like mm-hmm. everything has been done. Every scenario has been played out. Um, and it's okay to take those scenarios, but you got to make them your own. And that's that's really what like clowning was about, too. And like, you know... By the time I joined, it was like, you know, year 300 of the circus or whatever, you know. Yeah. So it's like everything's been done. Every, like, gag has been written and, and, and done. But <clears throat> that was our job is to take it and either modernize it or make it our own, put our own twist on it. And then it's, you know, then it's comedy, you know. It's, uh, then it's yours. So what is it that you learned at co- Clown College? Because you're an amazing juggler. You're an amazing balancer. Mm-hmm. Like, did you, after the auditions, like... All right, I get, like, did you do any prep going into Clown College? Did they give you things that you should work on? Because juggling yeah. is not a skill that you could just pick up. Right. It takes it, it takes practice, a yeah. lot of practice. Like, the only reason I could juggle a couple of lemons and limes because I've worked at a lot of really slow restaurants where I taught myself how to juggle lemons and limes. Right. I can't juggle anything else other than lemons and limes and things the size of lemons and limes because that's all I had to juggle. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much the same. I didn't like I I didn't have any actual like circus skills um, going into it. So I did. They did encourage us to to at least have a, a foundation in juggling. Um, just just try to learn. So I did. I grabbed one of those juggling complete klutz kits and uh, practiced for a little bit. So going in, I could almost juggle three balls for like you know a minute straight. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the Clown College was basically like boot camp. It was, <clears throat> a lot of people don't think it's like this, like, cushy thing. Like, it was it was hardcore. Uh, these people, it, 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 it really, it, it was like, I, and boot camp is the only thing I can kind mm-hmm. of compare it to. I've never been in the service, but, like, uh, it was eight weeks of solid six and a half days a week. And, then like, we had off Sunday afternoon to, like, go grocery shopping, and that was pretty much it. So it was... Uh, starting six or you know seven o'clock in the morning uh you, you get up and stretch and blah 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 by eight o'clock we are in the 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 arena or the then it was uh the sarasota opera house we were in the theater um and we we were doing uh calisthenics in the morning stretching and and, and working out we had uh, acrobatics class we had falls class we had um like a gymnastics teacher that used to be on the Chinese national team. Like it was, it was crazy because we had all these things uh, and just eight weeks to kind of put this big show on for the producer. So it was like, we were doing juggling class. We were doing makeup class. We were doing, we were learning um, circus history. We were learning um, just, uh, we would have uh, guests, speakers and, and other people that were like clowns and, and stand-up comedians and, um, different like huge heavyweights in the in the industry coming in and doing like specialty workshops tons of improv classes like um tons of scene work uh and then and we, we would be like going in between uh doing all these like going to the costume department for fittings for our costume and learning our designs and stuff. so it was it was nuts for eight and a half weeks i think um almost nine weeks because after the after the graduation show in eight weeks we had um, another couple of like charity shows we did there. And then we, we all took a bus from Sarasota to DC, uh, and we were playing the Wolf Trap Children's Festival. Uh, oh, wow. and like, like the Counting Bob from Sesame Street was like the host and stuff. So we did this big like international festival there too. So all in all, it was like nine weeks of stuff. And then like the culmination of the, of the Clown College was one big audition for the producer of the show of, of the circus, Ringling Brothers Circus, Mr. Feld. 
Um, so he would come in and we all wore numbers. Like we all had like a, a number patch on our, on our costume. And he would have to sit with his assistant and then the vice president of talent production. And then usually both of the, um, the boss clowns from each unit. At, in 96, there was two units. There was a red show and a blue show. Um, and they, they travel the country simultaneously. So that way uh, you don't see the same show in the same city every year. It's, it's always alternating, which is kind of cool. Excuse me. So um, he, he's there and he's writing number. He like, you know, number 14, I like his look. Number 15, I like the way he moves. Number 16, uh, I don't like his costume at all. Like just different stuff like that. And um, so the whole thing's a big audition. <clears throat> there was a lot of factors. So it was like, you had to be good. You had to fit the right costume because on one show, like, it's like the, the show I went to was the red show. And uh, the year I went, they were creating a completely new show. So it was a lot better. They didn't really have a specific need that they needed you to fill or like type that you needed to fill. It was just kind of like based on skills, if you were funny, if you had a good look. Um, but the other show, the blue show, was in the middle of their tour because each tour was two years long. So it, would, it depended largely on who was leaving that year. So if it was like a super tall clown that was leaving or if there was like a very athletic clown or if there was like uh, two girl clowns were leaving, then they'd be like, okay, we definitely need two girl clowns because those gags were already uh, produced and the, and the show was already running. So they needed to basically fill spots. So it was this mix of like, you had to be good, but you also had to be lucky. And you also had to be quote unquote, like showbiz, the right personality type or, or, or body right. type. Fit. You know? Yeah. Right. Second so. city does a lot of that with their tours. Second city, like they do these sketch tours at theaters and they're just redoing their old sketches that they've been doing for years. So the casting for that is a little more ubiquitous. Like we just need somebody to fill these roles. Right. Yeah. And that the roles don't need to be that specific because they don't have costume constraints or, or, or anything like that. They're just like, Oh, we need somebody. We, we, you know, this sketch requires three guys and a girl. All right, let's make sure we cast from our improv groups, three guys and two girls or whatever. It's like, right. So it's, it, that's fascinating to hear that the, the circus like that. Cause I don't know where these acts come from. I'm so it, like, it's interesting that they're like, hey, we have the show that's already going. We don't need new acts. We just need people to plug and play into those acts. Right. Because I was curious as to see when you go to clown college, do you come out as a particular type of clown? Do you have a clown discipline? Like, obviously, yeah. you know, clowning is a huge industry. I know a lot of clowns now. They're all so very different. Like, yeah. there's so many clowns that just don't even talk. It's all mimicry. It's right. all mime work. You know, yeah. so does do... Do some people, like when you guys were putting together your audition show, were you all like, hey, look, I really like doing the mime stuff. I'll handle this mime act for this show. And like, hey, you're really good at the athletic things. Do, can you do the pratfall gags that we have to do and stuff like that? Like, did you guys split off into disciplines? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, to, traditionally in the circus, there's three types of clowns. There's uh, the white face clown, which is the more, usually the more traditional and they usually have like a fancier costume and they're, you know, they're usually kind of like the straight man of, of, of the acts. Um, and then there's a clown that's called an August clown, which is normal, like the, like the skin color. And, um, they, you know, they have like different features and things like that, but most of the time they're like a skin color and they're usually kind of like the, the butt of the jokes and the, the silly, the silly one. And then there's a character clown. So it's like, that's where your, your tramp clowns or your hobo clowns or like your rodeo clowns and things like that. Like those are kind of categorized as the inner characters and, and there's a bunch of things that can kind of intertwine and, into all those but for the most part those were like the three sects that you kind of um you kind of fall into and then it was really kind of based on your personality so like when i was a clown i was an all goose clown um and i was i was more of like 
uh, an athletic type, and more of like we we called ourselves um, uh, skills clowns because it was more about the juggling, it was more about like um, the balancing and things like that, and we would do like acrobatics in the show. Um, so it wasn't like I was never really like a, a, a comedy writing producing type clown. It was like I was I was more I was happier just being like a comedy juggler. Uh, so um, that that's kind of like where I fell into. But yeah, everybody had their strengths, um, and it was like. Uh, the first like four or five weeks of clown college was kind of for them, for the teachers, it was, uh, it was like seeing kind of where everybody would probably end up. And it was kind of like, uh, the last couple of weeks were like, kind of like pushing us into that direction, um, to, to form the, cause each week, when, once we, once we were there, like every week we had, um, a free show for the public on Fridays. So it was like, whatever we were working on during the week we showcased it on Friday, whether it was ready oh, or wow. not. Yeah. And so it was like, it, it got us used to, um, doing shows and it got used to us producing things quickly and then throwing it out there and seeing what worked. And then we would, we could like, we could kind of, if, if, if something was good, um, we could kind of rework it and like really kind of hone it and then bring it, you know, every week and try to keep doing it. But if it was shit, then, you know, you just cut it. You'd be like, okay, that wasn't funny. So let's, let's think of something else. So, um, and then at the end, it was kind of like all the, the gags that were good got put into the, the grand finale, um, showcase for the, for the producer, which was good. But, uh, uh, I, I remember I did, I did a lot of like uh, the Spanish web, which is the rope that the, like like the you see all the time that people do the ropes and stuff like that. I did that, um, and I did what was called a table slide gag. So it was like um, this big like six seven foot table, um, and it was it was waxed and it was like polished really really. So it was super slip slippery, and we would do like all these like jumps and dives on it and pull ourselves across it and stuff like that. So it was pretty cool. And then we did uh, an act, which is called Cherry Vary. It in involves like mini trampolines and we were like doing flips over this box. And, but we do it to a whole gag. So it was like this, um, this pyramid where King Tut was, was buried and blah, blah, blah. And so we're all like mummies and we're like jumping over this. So it was pretty cool. You could put like a cool twist on it. Oh, wow. But, that yeah. sounds like such like the, 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 just the social media-ness uh, of watching Clown College. Um, TikToks. I, 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 that, I, that would get me to sit and watch TikTok as watching clown college people training to do stuff like that's yeah. here's all right. This is why it blows my mind. I cannot imagine somebody going through a comedy class intensive, which is usually six weeks, you know, and two hours a week for six weeks. At the end of their classes, you you have to write a five minute routine that you perform in front of an audience for your showcase. And it's, you know, your friends and family's like, yeah, we pay 10 bucks. We're here to support yeah. you. Yay. This is great. <laughs> Let's be honest. They suck coming out of it. I yeah. can't imagine. Like, all right. At the end of six weeks, I'm like, all right, the five minutes you wrote is at least bearable. I can't imagine having them perform in front of an actual audience week one after yeah. class one. No. Like, it takes years. Like, I watch people yeah. for years work at comedy. Yeah. And they still suck. You have eight weeks you have six days to get good in front yeah. of people on the thing that takes a massive amount of, of, of work. It's not like, like I can kind of, you know, like I can fake my way through writing. You know, you can't fake your way through a juggling act. You can't fake your way through an acrobatic act. You one misstep flipping over a trampoline. You just land a quarter inch in the wrong direction. And that's a broken ankle at yeah. worst. Or, a, a, you know, it's a concussion. Broken nose. <laughs> yeah. A broken yeah. nose. Exactly. And now like, I mean, with a broken nose, you could perform. You can't perform with a broken ankle. Yeah. You know, that's two months of, hey, you just wasted your first week of clown college. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and you know it's it um it coming like like clown college for me was so humbling because um I never By the way, you're first, 18 years old. That's the other top yeah, of it. I don't yeah, want to hear 18 yeah. year olds. Yeah, 17, 18 yeah. year olds. I don't want to hear 17, 18 year olds comedy, let alone a 17, right. 18 like that blows yeah. my mind that you're that that like you really have to take it serious. Like you have to be that dedicated to it. Oh, yeah. that's I was that I was is youngest. that's boot camp, bro. Yeah, for sure. I was the youngest one there. I was one of the youngest ones to ever go to Clown College, um, but I was the, I was the youngest one there for sure. That and, and I was I was not very worldly at all. Like I, you know, I grew up in Dundalk. The farthest yeah. north I'd been was New York. The farthest west was West Virginia, East Delaware, and like South was like. I think I'd gone to Myrtle Beach a couple times, you know, like, so I was very like tri-state area, yeah. you know, like, and I was very young. And so I was like, I was athletic and I had, I think I had pretty good comedy timing. Um, but other than that, I had like zero circus skills and I'm getting there. And, you know, yeah, you know, I, like you said earlier, like I was this like big fun guy, tough guy from, you know, from high school. And I'm like riding these, uh, these huge wins, like the, the last play that, that we did the hat full of rain with shank, like it was great. And it, it was, it, it was, you know, really well produced. And like, we, we got a lot of awards and a lot of praise for it. So I'm like riding high, like, Oh, my shit doesn't stink and blah, blah, blah. And then you get there. And so it, the class was like, there was like 30 people, but first of all, that was another win. Like, um, the, the statistic is it is statistically harder to get into, or it was, um, since clown college is not around anymore, but it was statistically harder to get into clown college than it was Harvard or Yale because you had, they traveled the country and they like over, over the whole time their audition is probably about 3000 people that audition every year for clown college and only 30 make it. So, um, you're automatically, yeah. yeah, mathematically just so, um, stacked against you. But so, yeah, so I get there and I'm like, oh, my shit doesn't stink. I'm this cool, like, I'm, you know, young, good looking guy, blah, blah, blah. Look at me. Uh, and I'm, I was just so humbled because I was used to being the best at what I did from where I'm from. And then I get there and I'm one of 30 who are also all the best at where they were from, you know? So it was like, and they were a lot better and they, and they were older and they were more experienced. They were more worldly. Um, so I just immediately was like gut checked, you know, it was like, <laughs> holy crap. And that's why like after about four weeks, I was like, I can't do this. I, I got to go home, man. Cause it just really ate at me. Cause I was used to this, this whole, like my shit doesn't stink. And they were there to tell me that, yeah, it does. And <laughs> you need to work on it and you need to get better. But, but the group of people I went with, they were phenomenal. Like, you know, they were so talented and they, and they were really, really good at, um, at carrying you and, and, and lifting you up. So, um, it was, it was definitely like a, a good tribe. And, um, I learned so much in that eight weeks about myself, about clowning, about the circus and just about life in general. So it was it, it really, but it was a humbling experience to, to, um, to go through all that, you know? Yeah, it, when it comes to, to skills and talent, you're a Baltimore nine, but at the circus, you're in LA three. Right, for sure. <laughs> like totally. That's that is like hitting the nail on the head right there. So, all right, the graduation, uh, the obje- like clown college. I it's all right. And is it Barnum? Was it Barnum and Bailey or Ringling Brothers? It was it was Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Okay, so, all right. I'm so bad at knowing those names. So the least I got that if I say Ringling Brothers, I said Barnum and Bailey. I was right. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's a collective name. So 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 real quick history lesson. There was the Ringley Brothers Circus. There was P.T. Barnum Sideshow, and then there was the Bailey Brothers Circus. And basically, they all combined um, at one point, and then it became the Ringley Brothers Barnum Bailey Circus. So okay. It's so, much it's much deeper than that, but that's the the gist of it. That's the small part. We we've all seen Greatest Show with Hugh Jackman. We got the we got the pre story. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, P.T. Barnum was just an amazing singer. That was also yeah. a great. Uh, so, Such a so guy. Go, the, the clown call is put on by, it's owned by Barnum and Bailey Ringling Brothers by them. It's not like a separate entity that goes right. it here, was. audition for somebody. We're just, to, so it's basically their, it's their farm program. Yeah. So basically what happened was that like in the sixties, um, the, one of the producers was like, you know, the, the median average age for the clowns at that point were like 60s, 70s, you know, and they were like, we need to get some young blood. We need to, we, we want to try to, you know, get this clowning program so that we can kind of start funneling some younger, um, some blood into the circus so that we can have these people, because these people were like great clowns, but they were all getting ready to retire. They were all old, you know? Um, so it was basically a program to kind of, like you said, a farm program to kind of get some talent in and, and every year they did it, um, from I think I want to say like '68. Uh, I'm so bad at the history. Uh, all my nerd clown friends are going to be like, "Ryan, what are you doing?" Like they're call me out on it. But yeah, like anyway, it was it was it was quite a quite a few decades of clown college. And and then the year after I went, '97 was the last official year that um, clown college was produced. So oh wow, yeah. Uh, so after that, the year, they're like, no other clowns will do. Well, you know, it was funny because I was, no, it was, uh, so my year was 96 and 97 was Steve-O's year. So that, the, after the year he went to Cloud College, after that, they were like, we're done. <laughs> we're done. <laughs> so it was pretty funny. You know, he, he's the one that ruined it for everybody now. So yeah. that's what I'm wondering is the graduation, going to Cloud College, the, the whole point of graduation for all the students is to get into Ringling Brothers. To get a contract with the circus, yep. And out of the 30, how many do you think? On average, I mean, I guess it's dependent so, on who quits and but, not what they need. Yeah, it could so, just so be it, just like, hey, we don't need any new clouds. Yeah, thanks for the, thanks for taking uh, the program. Yeah, yeah. There's, See there's you next year, that, maybe. Yeah, there was years that were probably like two or three people made it out of 30, 35 people. And then my year, I think, was it was a big transitional year, so quite a few people made it. Yeah. I think about twelve people made it from my year total, but I didn't make it at first. Uh, my first year, I got the shaft. Yeah, because uh, um, it just you know, I I, I really don't think that I, I used uh, all my potential there and uh, I, I kind of took things for granted and uh, phoned in some stuff and I guess it showed, you know, and so I, initially that, that first when you know, first round, I didn't get a contract, um, but I was, I was placed as an alternate. So it was like, you can either get a contract and then you, or you're an alternate or you were just don't even think about it, you know? Uh, so what happened was I did end up going that, that, you know, later that year because a couple people quit uh the show and then they were like okay well let's call brian and see if he still wants to do it so um i did end up going right after clown college which was nice but yeah i didn't i wasn't offered a contract right out of clown college which was kind of like heartbreaking you know i just spent all this time and energy and you know i wasn't worried like i could go back to college i had my scholarships would what hold over and this and that but it was just kind of like well I, I thought this is you know what i wanted to do and it was just kind of slap in the face but it's also kind of amazing listening to this story because we grew up in the 90s and our only perception of improv was whose line is it anyway. Right. And that was if you were lucky. <clears throat> like this, you know, we went to school, we went to school and did improv before Drew Carey brought back the revival of whose line is it anyway. Right. So th for us to find out what improv was, you had to watch like Comedy Central at 5 a.m. on a Sunday when they would put do re uh, replays, repeats, uh, uh, you know, reruns of the BBC's version of Whose Lies Line Is It Anyway? Yeah. So we only knew of short form while throughout all those years, you know, all throughout all the decades, they've been teaching long form. And I didn't really learn much about long form until I moved here to Boston and how intensive long form is now. And now it's, of course, everywhere. But it's, it's if you don't have that perception of what 
how critical improv is to everything and how it's like when you look at acting, clowning, my world of stand-up comedy, it's amazing how beneficial to all the people improv can be. Like, I hate improv when they do the uh, corporate, uh, like, oh, look at the, uh, oh, hey, we're going to help your... We're going to help your team building skills by doing improv training. Improv, like, it's so lecherous and uh, uh, um, predatory that it yeah. makes me sick. And that's why I hate, like, the only thing I hate about uh, uh, improv is the business of improv. Yeah. Um, because it's so cannibalistic. Like, improv schools, theaters, they're, they're training, their business model is make your students your audience and make your audience your students and you feed off each other. It sounds so disgusting and gross, but the skills you learn doing long form, short form, Herald and all the other, all, all these other variations of it is so beneficial to so many forms of art uh, that it's uh, so refreshing to hear that, that because you had that skill in high school, this tiny little thing that nobody else knows about that, it, that it helped you get to, Clown college, which is to say, again, we think about it, clowning, juggling, all these amazing still acrobatics, gymnastics stuff, things you have no background in. You got in because you had good acting foundations, and part of that good acting foundation was improv. So that's right. very re refreshing to hear. Um, since you've left uh, clown college, and we'll talk about your time in, uh, in the circus in a moment, but ha uh, other than clowning, have you been following up with any of your, your improv training? Like, are do you go back to any improv schools or theaters or do you occasionally get together to do games or workshops or anything like that? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I do, um, uh, my, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Hannah, she wants to be an actress. Uh, so I, I told her, I was like, the, she's always like, look, we have uh, the same agent. She's got uh, a, a commercial and, and film agent now, uh, which, which is my agent down in Charleston. Um, but I made her, you know, learn her own monologue. I was like, you're not going to, you know, I'm not just going to like tell her, Hey, you should represent. I was like, you're gonna have to earn it. I was like, cause it's a, it's a crazy business. I said, but, um, she did, she, you know, she, she learned a monologue and she's doing like everything and she auditioned it for her. And, and, um, you know, my agent was like, yeah, okay, cool. So, so she was like that. And then she's like, dad, I'm not, you know, I'm not getting any auditions and blah, 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 blah. And I was like, well, well are you still working on your craft? And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, you got the agent. That's good. That's one point. I was like, but being an actor, an actress isn't just, I, I do a monologue one time and I'm an actress. I was like, you have to cont continually and yes. consistently work on your craft. And your craft is your, your brain and your, and your, your ability to do characters, to do dialects, to do uh, accents, to do improv you know so i improv with her all the time it was funny just just last night we were improv and we were doing yes and you know and she was saying that she was i was like no -uh, yes and yes and <laughs> you know so we we're just going as crazy as possible but um and she, i told her too i was like well what are you doing to work on your character she's like i, don't know. I said okay i said learn a new language learn a new accent learn five new accents i said learn one accent really well so that from now on when they want uh somebody that's blonde hair blue eyes that has you know a Boston accent, they're looking at you for the age range of 16 to 22. Like, like be so good at one thing that, you know, it's impossible for them to, to turn you down. And, and what's good about the whole social media now is that, like, I, th I feel like TikTok's a huge resource for this stuff. Like, there's tons of, like, imp uh, impressionists, uh, tons of people, like, willing to teach you how to do impress impressions or dialogue dialects, uh, you know, you can learn languages and you can see other successful people and they'll break it down for you. And it's like a, such a great community for learning. Um, that's what I tell her too. I'm like, for every three uh, TikTok videos, you see people dancing and this and that, watch 10 on how to do something, how to pick up a skill. And I said, and eventually 
you know, they're going to have no choice but to, you know, to pick you because you're so good at what you do. I said, and then the world will see. I said, but you, you're living in an age now where you can completely cut out the middleman and it's such a refreshing thing that you can literally just produce your own content and just put it out there and just keep rapid firing, you know, everything. And then you're going to get noticed because it's consistency and it's, you know, the dedication and it's also the skill level. Your skill is going to improve with that much repetition. So, um, that's that's what I do too. Like a lot of times, uh, we'll do things for fun, and like she's like she'll she loves Mark Wahlberg. So I started to like do the, the oh well, you gotta get you know like because he's always out of breath, and like I try. Yeah, to, I, like, I, I, you know. oh, I hate that. I, there's so many actors that like I'm being dramatic. So I'm out of I'm out of breath. It's a very important so, scene. Yeah. It's like, what, what, did you run laps to get here to have a dramatic, Ryan Gosling, did you run laps to tell Kate, whatever her name is, that you love her? Why, like, why, is there something, is someone squeezing you? What's going on, Chris Pine? What's going on? Everybody for that, like, five-year window went to the same acting school, like, like, that's what this, that was the first, the lesson that was taught there. But no, so yeah, so that's, um. I don't do anything traditionally uh, as far as the the performance aspect. I, I feel like I, I, I still perform. I still, you know, regularly do my show. Um, so that keeps me constantly, like the whole five, like 10 minutes before I do my show, I'm out in the audience and I'm warming them up and I'm, I'm doing all that myself. Like I'm trying to connect with them on a personal level. I tell them about my, my background, my history. Uh, I would do like questions and answers. And my, and my daughter's there too because she runs my sound. So um, I, I get her involved. So it's it's that that part, and I also do it like kind of like how the like the stand up comedians would would like warm up like a television crowd. Um, I kind of do it that like that way, where I kind of some of it's bits that I do, some of it's kind of stand up, and then some of it's just kind of real, you know, trying to connect with them. So okay, so yeah, you're and you're because of working on your because you're continuously doing your craft you're still having to work on your craft it's great to hear that you're basically improv training your you're doing yeah, improv yeah. pop quizzes with your daughter <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and then see what's funny is when i do my show um i do uh before i start i do i go backstage and i do like a set of breathing exercises because i do a 45 minute show and i'm 44 so it's like it's it's still pretty it's a lot of cardio you know so i, I get in the right mind frame but i tell them i'm like hey I'm going to go backstage. I'm going to do my breathing exercises for about a minute or two. I was like, and then it's just my daughter on the stage, like with the sound equipment. I'm like, but you know, does he get any questions? Just shoot him the Hannah. She loves answering questions. So I put her on the spot, like every single show. But she's like, uh, and they do, they ask her, they grill her. Like, oh, you going to college? What college are you going to? How's it? And like, I'll be back there with my microphone. And sometimes I'll be like, ask her how, how it is having the coolest dad in the world. You know, like just messing with her, you know? Um, but yes, uh, I throw her out of the spot. She loves it though. <laughs> she does well. Uh, that's good. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's go back to getting into the circus because you said the blue team you're on, right? The red. The red you're on the red team. I'm so bad with colors. I'm, I can okay. not color blind, but I can. I'm just bad at remembering. I, hey, look, everybody! I just want you to know I'm woke. Despite this haircut, I'm woke and color blind when it comes to real life things. Not actual <laughs> colors. I can see them, but I'm just anyway. Uh, so on the red team, you said they were creating uh, a new act uh, for that year. How yeah. much of that was your was input from the people coming in? How much of it was like, hey, we wrote these things. Here's what you're gonna do. So so yeah. So basically, um, the the clowns would be in charge of producing all the content for like the first hour before the show actually started. They called it the three ring adventure where 
um, I think you might, I don't know if you've ever been to the circus, but back in like the nineties, they started to let people come down onto the floor and like mill around. And actually like before the show started, um, they could kind of like see the ring curves and they could really get a, you know, a sense of what, what everything was like. And they called it the three ring adventure. Um, and basically in each ring, we, the clowns would be doing like gags and things like that. A lot of comedy, a lot of, um, audience participation and things like that. So those things that we were writing in clown college are what we'd be, we'd be performing at the three ring adventure. And then sometimes like the big production numbers, um, those would make it into the actual show. So that table slide thing that I told you about and the, and the cherry berry with the, the mini trampolines, those were both things that we did in the actual show. So, um, it, it, that's why I. I, because I was athletic and I was able to do, those were both very um, labor intensive, uh, gymnastics involved, acrobatics involved uh, gags. So that's why I was able to, to get pulled up from, you know, from being an alternate. And they were like, yeah, well, at least he, he was athletic. So let's bring him and he can, <laughs> he can fill that costume. It'll be fun. And how many years did you spend with him? Uh, I was with Ringling Brothers for six years from 96 to 2002. So that's three tours? Three tours, yep. Three, uh, and they were three full tours. So it was, uh, like I said, the 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 red show started in. I mean, it started a lot longer, but they they started a new show at the tail end of '96. Um, so that went '97, '98, then a new show for '99, 2000, and then a new show for 2001, 2002. So three different shows. And so, what was life like? Traveling with the circus, like you know, we we know the old joke. We're gonna run away and join the circus and stuff like that, but. You know, I've talked to a lot of friends who are clowns. Uh, I just the, uh, your episode's going to drop probably in like three days. I'm going to put it out this week uh, because I'm, <laughs> my life, I don't have time. I got to get it done today. I don't have any more days off. But <laughs> I had two days off this week, and that's because I uh, and I spent one of them on the couch because I just needed time to do nothing. Even though yeah. I spent the week previous on the whole couch be, with hernia surgery and not doing anything, like I felt so guilty. Not being able to move, just sitting on my couch, sweltering in 90, 90% humidity, 95 degrees, 90% humidity. Just going, I should go down and work on a podcast, but I'm just in so much pain. Then I go back to work for a week, and I'm like, I just need to sit here and decompress from a week of work. For I just need to eat pizza and watch YouTube videos and not talk to anybody. I'll talk to somebody tomorrow. <laughs> but uh, my most previous episode is also with another person who is a clown. Uh, well, his dad was a clown in the circus and left the circus. He was with, I think, Big Apple Circus. Okay. Um, and he left and he basically became a traveling street performer. Um, cool. Who's that? Uh, uh, Jack Lapierre's. Uh, Lapierre's. Okay. Uh, he was yeah. just on America's Got Talent. Yeah. Thanks for not looking at any episodes of the podcast before coming on it. Appreciate you not doing any research or Listen, checking in on me. I, hey, I, you know I, what? I, I, we only succeed from the. From the the help uh, from the uh, uh, we only succeed with the help of our friends. So I appreciate you paying attention to the podcast and listening, Brian. Well, here's the thing: I don't like podcasts. I, I really don't have time for, but I watch all of your little snippets on TikTok and and all that stuff, like the the little micro moments. Like I love those because yes. I'm like, okay. I, I got two minutes. I can enjoy this, like you know. But yeah, fair so enough. I, I, I do a lot of long form interviews. I don't blame anybody who's like I don't have ninety minutes. My commute's six minutes, Dennis. I don't need to listen to your conversation. Not everybody takes pu- subways to work like I do. Have to where I have to go, plan out my entire week of. All right, I have a forty-five minute trip today. If I'm as long as I'm not late, so I need to listen to this podcast and this podcast, and then tomorrow I'll listen to this one and this one, and I'll listen yeah. to this one on the way home. Yeah, not everybody. I know not everybody has to plan their day around listening to people talk as much as I do. Uh, I've got a shallow bathtub too, so I can't even like enjoy a, a nice bath. Or anything. It's like, <laughs> My knees and my, my elbows are out, you know? 
So it's like I can't even enjoy a, a good podcast at a bath time, you know. <laughs> but sorry, taking notes because I just I'm realized sorry. this is going to be our uh, social media clip. <laughs> you putting your arms up with the Captain America tattoo. I'm like, yep, there's the clip that's going on social media. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing. Like, we were just talking about social media. That's kind of the world. We'll talk more about social media later, but uh, that's so much that, like, it's easy to be cynical and like, oh, I hate Twitter. It's blah, blah, blah. This and that. TikTok is for, I don't understand. I'm not going on TikTok and doing dances. Then don't. Just do whatever you want to do on it. Anyway. But, yeah. So, like, so much of my brain sometimes has to be for over the past, like, 12 years. Uh, is had to be all right. What this is the thing that happens. I have to remember to use this for social media because that's the world that we live in, and I yeah. embrace that stuff. And I should be embracing it more. Anyway, back Thumbnail. to life on the circus. That's what I'm curious <laughs> about. Um, yeah. Is the living life on the circus? You're in a traveling thing. I have a lot of friends who are tra- who are road comedians, and they talk about how lonely the road can be because yeah. it's just you in your car. You're going to hotels. You go to a club. You don't know anybody. You go up, you do your act, you get a bunch of accolades from people if you're lucky, and then you leave and you go back to your room sad and depressed. And it's it's heartbreaking. For me, that sounds like fun. Because I look at it differently. Oh, I get you mean I get to travel and look at different places of the world, and then I get to meet new people at, like, the receptionist at the hotel, and then I get to talk to meet new people, like the servers and bartenders at this place? That sounds like my dream. Yeah. You know, so I guess there's a lot of perception. Now, granted, uh, my little tours are like one week at a time. And usually I'm going to places I'm already familiar with. Right. Um, and I'm also very outgoing. I've always been, you know, a big personality. I don't mind, I, I don't mind walking up to strangers and just talking to them. Um, and I can understand where some people, their only exuberance is when they're on the stage. And when they come off stage, they're like, you know, yeah. they curl up into to their ball of anxiety of persons. I'm not that. I'm on stage because I'm exuberant off stage, you know, yeah. and other people aren't. Um, and I, I have never gotten that you weren't like you were, I wouldn't say a big personality, but you're a personality that feels like it. Like people can feel your presence when you walk in the room. Yeah. You know, I, I try to always be on, you know, like unless I'm not feeling well, like I'm always on. I, cause, and, and it's, it's just an ego thing. It's just mm-hmm. cause I make myself laugh and that's really all that matters. Like I'm doing things to make myself laugh first. And then if everybody else laughs at it, that's like, that's a win. But yeah. So, like, so for you living on the road with the circus, no, you're traveling to other people. But again, the old cliche, surrounded by a hundred people and you're the loneliest person in the world. Is that, yeah. was that your kind of experience on the road or what was the experience yeah. for Brian, uh, Brian, the, the new Brian from Dundalk, the new clown guy. What was your life on the road as a clown performer? Like, yeah. So, so initially there is that shock. Like um, I can, I think I'll probably always have the memory etched into my brain of uh, when, when I traveled with the circus, uh, we, we all lived on a train. So um, my room was like, I don't know if you've ever taken a, a train anywhere, not like a subway, but like a, a passenger train, like they have the roomettes and uh, the state rooms and things like that. Um, my room was called a roomette. It wasn't even classified as a room. It was uh, <laughs> a door that slid into the wall. And when you step in, it was exactly four feet deep. It was six feet long and it was eight feet tall. So it was literally like a, a, a walk-in closet. Like not I had even more space closet. at the Baltimore County Detention Center for the mu- 31 days that I served there than yeah. you had on your train. Oh, yeah, God. Like, like, and, when, and when I got on the, I remember um, I was the last one to come onto the train that year because everybody else had got a contract, like I said. So I joined in, uh, when they put the show together, it's called Winter Quarters. So it was like a, a month and a half of, 
of putting the show together down in uh, Tampa, Florida at the fairgrounds down there. It's where we, we had a big like um, warehouse and everything. And that's where we put the show together. And uh, the train was parked, you know, just a little bit uh, down the road, like in Ybor city. Um, so I get on the train and I got this big duffel bag and another bag. And it was like, okay. And my, my friend shows me this room and I'm like, Oh, okay. So this is like my closet where I put my clothes. Like, where do I sleep? And and it, and it was like, cause, cause like the bed, the bed and like, it's kind of like how uh, like a trailer is like the bed forms uh, a table and it has like two gauchos, you know, and the cushions and you put the table down and make it a bed. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And so he just, he pulls the table down and like, lets it go. And then puts the, puts the two cushions on it. And he goes, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, is this cause, cause I'm a new guy. Is that what this kind of, oh, okay. haha, where's it? And they're like, Ryan, this is your, and they showed me everybody else's room and theirs were already decorated. And I'm like, wow. Like that was a, that was a big shock to me. And, um, but once you get, once you get used to it, I mean, there was like 14 or 15 of us that, that were in the, the clown car, <clears throat> the train car. And, uh, they were all clowns and, uh, we had a kitchen in there with two refrigerators and things like that. So it was, a, it was a little micro community inside the circus. So, uh, and these guys were the funniest guys and, you know, it's like, it was like a fraternity. So it was like, uh, that initial like you know week or two when you're when you're you're away from your parents you're you're home homesick a little bit but it it quickly evaporated when uh you just kind of grab life by the by the reins and just go with it you know like and i i was literally in a different city every week and um just seeing things that i never would have been able to see as like you know a 17 year old kid from dundalk on my own you know um so I didn't have time to be homesick. I didn't have time to like catch any weird feelings. Like it was just balls to the wall. Like we're, we're doing this and we're having the best experience of our life. So for six years, I, we just went hard and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. I was for like me growing up in dog, I was in the boy Scouts. So f- with yep. the boy Scouts, I learned a lot of <clears throat> things around about the world. Um, and I also got to travel. Like when I was 17, I was in Scotland. Yeah. You know, for two weeks, uh, which was a huge, you know, like I, I, I go back and think about so many things I did horribly wrong back then as a 17 year old, like just trying to be funny, just trying to make friends yeah. and just saying, get, like repeating lines from South Park that I didn't know what they meant, but just like, Hey, this is the funny thing that I laughed at. Won't you guys laugh at it too? And they're like, Dennis, why would you say that? That's horrible. But, uh, you know, or just like how needy I was for attention and trying to be friends with people. But uh, I at least had some experience with the world growing up uh, a little bit, like traveling around and, and, and stuff. But I can't imagine that cultural shock of, hey, this is my first time really leaving home and seeing yeah. different things. Uh, when you're traveling to these cities, how much time do you have to actually experience the cities? Or it's like you set up, you do your thing, you do the show, you pack it up, you get on the train, and you go back to another city. Like, is there, like, sometimes when I do, get to do comedy, I plan. Hey, I want to leave at this time. So when I get to Greensboro, I have six hours in Greensboro to experience the city before I go right. do my show at night. Is right. there that availability or is it just a grind? Yeah, yeah no, no. It was definitely a time that you could check out things. So basically what would happen is uh, depending on how far each city's jump was, they tried to keep it within like a day's train ride. There were a couple big train runs when we were starting to go out west, um, but for the most part, it was like a day on the train. So it would be like, uh, you know, Tampa to Miami or like Miami to Jacksonville. So it would be like, it wouldn't be that, that far. So basically 
the train would uh, leave Monday or like late, late Sunday night, early Monday morning, uh, travel all day Monday. We'd usually get in uh, either late Monday night or early Tuesday morning. Um, and then we'd set up the whole show on Tuesday and we would open up on Wednesday. So basically um, you'd have like the days during the day to like kind of go explore the city and then at night because the weekends we would have like six shows. Um, so it wasn't really a whole lot you could do. But, you you know, during the day, like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you could go and, um, you know, see the city. And then the show was like 730. So it was usually done by like 930. So if you wanted to go catch a movie or something, you could do that or, you know, go out to, to grab some drinks or something. You could do that. Um, but then there was times like the first year of this of the, the circuit, um, you're you're playing the bigger cities, so you're playing like New York, you're playing LA, you're playing Chicago, you're playing the bigger cities. So um, whenever we were in New York, we would play like Long Island first. We played Jersey, and then we'd play uh, Madison Square Garden. So it was like we were Madison Square Garden for at least a month. Um, so and then Long Island and, and Jersey, you were there for like another. So so all in all, you were there almost two months. So you could kind of really dive into some of the craziness of uh, the cities, like the bigger cities. In LA, we we played like Long Beach, LA. Um, uh, uh, Anaheim and things like that. So we were in the LA area too for like almost two months. So you could really kind of get to see what the cities were about. Um, the second year, we called it the rodeo route because you were playing smaller cities like Waco and like uh, <laughs> Newton, Kansas, and things like that. You're like places that you're like, this is a city. But that was the coolest part uh, for me was playing the smaller cities. Uh, like like you see like if your life was a movie, you like remember different parts of like the B roll. And for me, like one of the parts that, that uh, I remember the B roll is traveling uh, the Midwest on the train. Um, some of these cities were so small that the circus wouldn't play there. So the only like the only glimpse that they would get of the actual circus is when it went through their backyard on the train tracks. And they would literally post up with their lawn chairs and signs and stuff like that. Cause we would creep through these towns and uh, they, they knew, they knew when the train was coming and it'd be like big celebrations, big parties of people just having like parties in their yard. But like, cause the circus was just coming through on the tracks. And I remember it'd be like being out on the vestibules and like waving at these people that were like, you know, it, that was the biggest part of their, their summer, you know, it was like when the train comes, it was just so cool to be like part of that experience. And it's something that you, you can't ever really describe to somebody cause they weren't there of how just like that, that visceral experience of being that part of somebody's life in just the smallest way um, was really, really cool. Oh my God. Like that's like, I, I'm, like for, for some people you have to also explain this is the, yeah, this is 1998. Yeah. There's no internet. Mm-mm. I mean, there's the internet, there's AOL, but even yeah. like the, the a fraction of people had it. And if yeah. you did have it, you weren't experiencing that much stuff. There wasn't that much stuff on the internet to experience, even right. if you had it. So these potunk towns, like that's flabbergasting to me to know that some people literally live their lives like, uh oh, you know what tomorrow is? Right, circus train, and it's just them for three minutes sitting in the air watching a train go by and waving, and maybe they'll see a giraffe's head stick out, uh, stick up outside of a, a train car, yeah. and then that's the highlight of their lives. That's that's incredibly aspiring to know that you could have that much impact in somebody's life in such a right. fraction of a moment. But also at the same time, when you look at it in the big picture, it's like, that's incredibly depressing and sad that that is the, ex- that is the highlight of someone's right. life that nothing else in their life will ever compare to that thing that you and me would take for instantly granted. Like, yeah. you know, the, like I think the, the, 
the the closest we have in Baltimore, and it's a novelty to us. It's not a thing that we we will just go down and sit on uh, the patio of um, you know, L Street Pub and watch them walk the 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 elephants from mm-hmm. the down the streets to the the Baltimore Arena when the circus comes down. We're like, oh hey. Hey, circus is coming. They're coming set up. They're going to walk the, the, the elephants around two o'clock. You guys want to go get beers and watch elephants? Yeah. Like for us, it's a novelty. It's not the highlight of our life. For, right. Ah, like yeah. I can like we grew up in a in a like say what you want about Baltimore and Dundalk. I mean, we grew up in a very urbanized environment where there was a lot going on, a lot of experiences, both good and bad. But mm-hmm. like we were at least enough of a city where that wasn't our life was like. Hey, there's a train coming. Let's wave at the train. Yeah. All right, the yeah. train went by. Let's go back to pretending that we're not sad. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So that's like that insane. part. It was, it was, uh, it was very humbling, and it was, it was, you know, it teaches you gratitude for sure. So, wow. Um. So, listen, it, it, you, it, people are weird about money. I think people should be less weird about money. So let's talk about money. Because the perception of these industries is like, oh, we pay for your room, your board, and your food, so we don't pay you much money. And it almost becomes, even though you're being paid, it almost becomes like a servitude situation, endangered servitude situation where it's like, hey, I make money, but I don't make enough money to be able to walk away from this lifestyle. Um, or some people just, they do a thing, like actors. The amount of money that actors get paid to act sometimes is, is insane. Um, yeah. was that, uh, like, what was the pay like as a clown in Barba? You don't have to talk exact numbers if you don't no, want no. to, no, yeah, but I would fine. love to hear what the numbers are. Yeah. So, so, um, when I was auditioning for clown college and, uh, things like that, I was like, um, I heard rumors that like clowns started at like 60 grand a year and this, you know, six, 17 years old in 1996, like a 60 grand salary. That's like you know, 150 grand now. So you're I, like, at 41, I will take 60 grand salary right now. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, Oh, that's great. That's good. Blah, blah, blah. So we do everything. And I remember like when, when it was time, uh, you know, months and months later to, to talk about my contract and, uh, things like that. I look and uh, first year clowns. When I, when I was a first year clown, my first contract was $300 a week. So in 1996, I was making more than that at the snowball stand. So it was like <laughs> 15 grand a year. But yeah, they did. They did pay for your. Uh, like we said, we, we lived on a train, so they paid for all those expenses. They didn't pay for food, so we still had to pay for food. But they did pay for transportation. So, um, like w- there was a bus that we took like to and from the arena and things like that. If you didn't have your own car, so um, it, it it was a very uh, humbling salary, and it was like it, again, it, it made you think to yourself like you really have to want this. You really have to. You know, you're not doing it for the money. Uh, at first, I mean, there, there, it got, it got to be pretty lucrative, uh, towards the end. So I was there for six years. So like my first year salary is 300. And then the second year I actually, uh, when I went in to do my contract negotiations, uh, I, I didn't want to stay anymore. Um, and I, you know, I, was, I missed my girlfriend back home and this and that. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to, and then, um, I ended up changing my mind and I, I ended up staying but um, everybody else had already signed their contract and they got 315 for their second year, all my first year friends. Uh, and then since I changed my mind and signed it late, he like, he made me only get $310. So I didn't, <laughs> and I didn't realize that until after I signed oh, that's it. That's dirty so it was, as fuck. That's it dirty. Was, it was a big F you to me, $5 <laughs> less a week than everybody else. But I got them back because uh, uh, by the end, um, there was a big, there was like a mass exodus in 99 um, like 
every single clown was kind of like like fed up with everything and everybody wanted to go their different ways and so absolutely zero people came back or signed a contract initially from 99 to 2000 on the red show and it was like the first time in history that it's ever happened that all the clowns left um but i told him when i went in i'm like look i i'm willing to come back but this is how much you got to pay me and so this was this would have been for my um for my fifth and sixth year um and uh, he's like uh, and I told him it was like a thousand dollars a week. And at that point, you know, I, I'd, I'd been doing pretty well. I, I think I made like front for like the years, year three, I think I was at like 500. And then at year, year four, I think I was like closer to six, six something, um, which was, it, it, you know, from in three years, doubling your salary is not bad. But, um, <laughs> so he's, he's like, absolutely not. And I was like, okay, well, just to let you know, I'm the only one that's willing to come back. So it's up to you. And then by the end of the year, he's like, okay, and I and I I thought to myself, like knowing that I was I was fully prepared to sign a two year contract because most of the contracts were one year. Um, so I was like, I knew that I was prepared to sign a two year contract. Um, he's like, okay, we're gonna do it. But if we're doing it, we got to talk about two years. I said, yeah, it's no problem. And he was just like, really? And I was like, yeah. So uh, I I was making a grand a week my my fifth and sixth year, which was you know it's pretty good. That's you know fifty plus grand a year yeah. when you got zero expenses. So um, it was it was pretty good. But uh, some of the acts, some of the acts were, you know, like the 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 um, Tiger Act and uh, some of the high wire people, like they, they make pretty good money. Uh, the concessions people make pretty good money, um, but yeah, the some of the acts just don't, you know. <laughs> well, that's what I wonder. When you're leaving, when you're preparing your life to walk away from the circus, what's your plan? Like, so, I, like with the very specifics of clowning. There's only a like that skill set only transfers over to only certain things. Like me, my I went to six years of community college and all I, I graduated with three degrees. I say graduated, I didn't pay for my last semester, so technically I didn't graduate. So it's just fun when I tell host trivia, it's like I went to six years of community college and didn't graduate. That's why I ask the questions and not answer them. Uh, but like uh, my entire all my education is radio, television, and journalism. I don't know how to make a spreadsheet. I don't know how to work in an office. I did radio for 22 years. By the time iHeartRadio laid me off in 2018, I looked at like doing temp agency work just because I was going to go do freelance audio work because that's all I know how to do. And I looked at what they require you to know to do. I was like, I don't know any of these. I don't know what these words mean, let alone them how to do these jobs that they're saying. And like, I was so willfully unprepared for the real world. I have no other career decisions other than entertainment. That's all I know how to do. Right. It's scary at 41. Like every time I try to think about, Oh, well maybe I'll just change careers. How I have no skill sets to change careers. And please someone hire, please NPR hire me to produce your podcasts anyway. But for you again, similar situation, you're coming out of, you know, being a clown. What else are you going to be able to do with those clown skills? Yeah. What's so, the plan? <laughs> so, yeah, so it was interesting. Uh, the, the end, of, like, towards the end of year six, once I realized that, you know, I wasn't coming, I wasn't coming back. Uh, I'd gotten married, and so my, uh, my ex-wife, she was a, a contortionist and acrobat from um, Budapest, from Hungary. And um, we were like... I think well, it's safe to say you met her on the circus. She's not yeah. just like, oh, I was at a bar. Hey, there's a contortionist at a different... <laughs> <laughs> no yeah no um and and, and it, it's kind of like um one of those things like we're, we're young we're like 22 and she was like 20 i think she was 21 um and at that point you're kind of looking at 
a couple of different industries. The, the, the cruise ship industry is always an option. It's mm-hmm. always a viable option. They have, you know, guest entertainers and they have uh, uh, productions on, on their cruise ships and, and there's plenty of those. There's theme parks. Um, so theme parks are always hiring variety entertainment. Uh, there are other circuses, smaller circuses. Obviously, um, yeah. And yeah, and and then there's um, there's shows. There's um, like standalone shows, or there's some traveling shows that hire variety performers. So those were kind of uh, the options that we had. And then based on those, and and, and we were fortunate enough to see um, what what the lives were like in different cities. And we also had kind of built up a network of people um, in in various cities. So we kind of had like we could either go to New York. Um, and, and, and try, you know, there's always, you know, plenty of shows and, 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 and auditioning to do in, in New York. Um, we can go to Orlando and, and do the theme park circuit, you know, there was, uh, Florida is a huge, uh, retirement community for, for circus artists. So there's a huge support system down there. Uh, we could go to Vegas, um, and hit the shows in Vegas, um, and do, you know, casinos are always, um, booking variety acts and, or we can, you know, go to LA and try to, try to really take a stab at, um, doing the, the Hollywood thing. So, and we had friends everywhere, like doing, doing all those things. So ultimately we decided to uh, move to Vegas because uh, I, I love uh, blackjack and I've always loved poker. So, um, I, I, well, I figured I, I could get a job as a casino dealer um, while we were doing the gigging on the side and just kind of see where it took us. And um, at least that was like an actual job. And, and, and my ex-wife, she could, she could like be a bartender or, or be a cocktail waitress. And, and we knew that, those those lifestyles would be able to support like an actual lifestyle and, and it would also give us the flexibility to kind of do the things and, and, and try to like get into shows as well so that's what we ended up doing we ended up moving to uh to vegas and, and doing shows out there and I, I became a blackjack dealer and uh she became a cocktail waitress but we, we still worked and we still you know we would do shows and i got into a couple of shows out there um so that's by the way i want to point out we, what you just said is the title of the show it's like you meet somebody who's tending bar and you're uh, uh, tending bar or you meet somebody who goes, oh, yeah, no, I'm a clown uh, for the circus. Uh, but you're wiping things like, yeah, but what do you really do? Right. Right. <laughs> so so at that point, you know, that's the first time it was like, but what do you really do for us? Because um, yeah. up until that point, we were we were uh, primarily performers. Um, so and but it, but it was good. It was good to to see. uh what it was really like and what it was going to take to make it quote unquote, make it in the private sector uh, without this huge PR machine behind you. That was the circus, you know, like, and again, this is own. still pre-internet. So even like just, it's amazing how much social media has changed the promotion world in itself. Like the job of social media management is a, a job that was created 15 years ago because it was a need for it. You know, like there's always been PR and marketing and stuff, but it was never meant anything like PR marketing is all, all you really did is write press releases and send it to the news agencies. You yeah. didn't have to like, think about the PR team at Wendy's that have to think of funny roasting tweets every day, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. So this was, yeah, this was 2002. So I still um, vividly remember the last three or four months um, leaving the circus and I was at that time I had bought, it was so funny. I bought probably a hundred um, blank VHS tapes that were only 15 minutes long for my, for my promo reels. And I was physically, physically dubbing each VHS tape with my, with my promo reel and my, my ex-wife's promo reel. 
and then packaging it with with uh, promo pictures, headshots, and resumes, and physically sending eight by ten photos. Print yeah. it, you got to print out your resume. You got to yeah. cut that eight and a half by eleven by to eight by t- ten. Yeah, paste it to the back of your headshot. Yep, and and physically, I, I remember it was a hundred different packets that I sent out in three months. Physical packets to different uh, talent agents and carrying uh, them and all agents. to the post office. Yeah. In the yeah, little bubble yeah. wrap, yellow, the, the yellow manila, yellow bubble wrap uh, envelopes. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was it was just crazy because I, I couldn't tell you how I even found a place that sold me 115-minute um, VHS tapes. It was like special ordered. But I could, I, it was no internet, so I, I had to have called somebody or asked somebody. So, um, so yeah, I, I really remember that. And, and a lot of times um, it, was, it was like one of those things where you have to just, you send it out and you wait. You know, and you call them, hey, did you get it? Yeah, I got it. And they have to actually put it in the VCR. So um, that's that's what it was like when I was leaving the road. So it was still very, uh, like a very um, uh, non-technological process. <laughs> you know, it was a very analog process. I mean, right now, like for me, like, uh, so in 2002, let's see here, I was still in college. Let's say uh, around 2008, I was managing a couple of punk bands. Um, and in 2008, my DIY self ability to be able to just make, uh, you know, be able to burn CDs with four songs on it and print out jewel case, you know, print out sleeves to go inside jewel cases or print out actual sleeves and stuff. Of course, it's on black or white printer because color printers were way too expensive. Like my DIY ability to make envelopes that had the you know, our e-pay, our electronic press kit on it to send out to venues and age ad agencies and stuff like that. I was well and far advanced in 2008 doing that. Like just a few years earlier, the ability for you to actually dub VHS tapes was literally impossible. The only way you could do it at home was with thousands of dollars worth of equipment, or you'd have to go to a place and go here, make a hundred of these please and hope that they did it right. And then pay them an exorbitant amount of money and then pick them up and then, Hope that all 100 of these VHS tapes are right. Otherwise, you're sending it out, and you could be sending out a tape. At least on the CD, I could throw it in my computer, and in three seconds, know it's the right one. With a VHS tape, you have to physically put it in a machine and watch it. Like, who knows? You could be sending out someone's taped copy of ABC's reruns of Star Trek The Next Generation, and they're like, what is this? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so anxiety intuition thinking about <laughs> that the amount of blind trust you have to have in yeah. that promotional method. That's... Uh, people just crazy. don't understand that. <laughs> I had a 19 inch, uh, TV VCR combo and that was like the, the hub. And then I had three other, um, VHS or v- VCRs, uh, spliced into it. So it was like, I could record that one, uh, on three of them at a time. But even then it took me forever, you know, and yeah. I was just doing 15 minutes, you know? And if there's a, one mistake, one mm-hmm. mistake, you got to start from the beginning. Yeah, I went through three master copies because they, they it snapped, and I'm like, <laughs> not even a snap. Uh, like if you, if there's just a roll that goes like, you know, we all have the like the 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 filter that you put on your your video thing that's like, oh, this looks like '80s VHS, and there's always that line goes down. If uh-huh. for one reason your v- VCR that one time playing this tape has that line going right down the the, the thing, you're just like, fuck, stop, rewind, 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 rewind. Rewind. Uh, all right, stop, 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 stop. Play, record, 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 and hope that it doesn't happen again. I just, I'm saying that. I, we understand that. Like, I want other people to understand the effort you had to go into for things. Like, 
Look, in this day and age, a lot of people will send the law, uh, like, you're submitting to, like, uh, uh, the amount of times that I've accidentally copied and pasted the wrong YouTube link into a festival submission, and I have to be mortified that it was like, you watched me watch this video on the YouTube now? No, not my comedy tape. Like, again, that's an easy fix now. If something went wrong then, that's it. You're done. There's no way. There's no coming back from it. There's no fixing it. You know, they're not going to watch the tape and go, hey, I think you sent the wrong tape. We're really interested. Send us another. No, they're just like, trash. Yeah, next. Yeah, literally throw it. Next. Yeah. Circle, circle filing cabinet. So, coming out of the circus, what was your effort to developing a solo act? Um, because you are now, like, I'm sure you had some input in with the six years that you were there. It's like, hey, maybe we can try this new act, or let me try this new stunt, or hey, there's this new gag, but you're coming out of there. You can't do the same things you were doing in that circus because you guys were groups, or maybe there's some small things you can do, but you had to learn to develop a whole new act. For a comedian, for me to build an hour worth of material to start doing corporate events, takes years. I mean, I'm 12 years in the comedy, and I do hour corporate events occasionally, but I don't have an hour. I can fudge an hour. I have three hours worth of material. 30 of minute, 30 of it is clean. 45 a minute is for uh, 40, 45 minutes of it is acceptable for an audience. Ask me to do an hour is pushing it. You know, I know my limits. I can't imagine like for you, the same thing coming up with these, these gags and these tricks and, and whatnot. How do you go about creating a solo act as a clown? Yeah, so it was. Um, I, I was lucky to uh, to really um, hone the skill side of the clowning uh, as far as juggling and balancing things on my nose and doing uh, doing things like that. So um, I had a pretty good uh, arsenal of tricks uh, that I could pull from, but I, I also learned that just doing the tricks by themselves wasn't going to be enough. Like it, it, it's a good. Yeah, kind of even nowadays like like i juggle i can juggle five balls but like people are always like oh well there are people that you know start with five now and they go all the way up to 10 or whatever and i'm like for me it's never like when i watch a juggler and i'm a juggler so like i i love the the technicality of it of he's, he's juggling 10 balls like like i know personally how long he must have practiced to get to that level um but i also know that from the normal perspective an audience member there's no difference between five and ten like yeah. to them, they see five balls, they see 10. They don't know. They don't know how much harder it was to learn 10. They see it's more, but ultimately it, it, to them, it, there, there's a disconnect of you, you're juggling 10 balls. You're juggling 10 balls because you want to juggle 10 balls and you're doing it for other jugglers. You're not doing it for the audience. Yeah. So I mean, five to 10, both are impossible. Yeah. So what's the difference? Yeah. yeah. So, so it's like, uh, so I stop at five and I'd rather learn to do funny things while I'm juggling three than to end with five ball juggling because it's five balls. Like, hey, this is me. I'm juggling five balls. Yes, it's impressive, but it's not funny. And it's, there's, there's almost less entertainment value from it you know, than, than there would be as if I could do a, a bunch of funny things with three, you know? So that's the mindset I had to take on was learning how to take what I could do and make it funny and, 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 and stretch it out and find the things inside of it to make it even funnier. Um, because coming out, I probably had 15, 20 minutes of being able to juggle. But the hardest part for me 
Uh, I was pretty confident about that because in the circus, I had been doing my own solo stuff and I knew a lot of it would transcend. But the hardest part for me, and I didn't realize how hard it would be, was um, doing it out of makeup. So when I decided to not be a clown anymore, because when I left the circus, um, I, was, I was pretty clear with myself that I would only be a clown in another circus. Or if, if somebody hired me specifically to be a clown and it was, and it was pe where people would be expecting a clown. Because um, the hardest thing for me to swallow, and I think it's probably being that you know 17-year-old douchebag from Baltimore <laughs> that's always in the back of my mind, is, is um, the stigma that clowns have. Um, which I'm sure is a whole nother podcast that we can talk about. But like when you go to a circus, you're expecting to see clowns. So if I'm, if I'm at a theme park, you might expect to see a clown. You might, you know, a character, this or that. But if, if you're going to a corporate event, you're not expecting to see a clown. Or if you're going to like a nightclub, you're not expecting to see a clown. So like to be booked in those venues as a clown, I felt like I'd just be asking for ridicule and asking to deal with those drunk douchebags that are like, you know, so like, I told myself that unless it's a venue that people are going to expecting to see a clown, I wouldn't work it. Um, and I, I never really did birthday parties either because it just wasn't my thing. So I knew that if I was going to be able to take the skill set that I had and be able to monetize it and, and be able to move forward and just be able to do that, I would have to, to be able to do it with, without makeup. And the first time I ever did it, um, it was like this whole, like, I, I, I never, I mean, I performed literally for you know, millions of people over a, a 30 year career now, like, uh, millions. And, and so like that at the height, I, I was performing for probably like 50,000 people in a, in a festival, like, like literally like in the middle of all that. So stage fright has never been an issue yeah. for me. And it was like, as soon as I took the makeup off, I didn't have anything to hide behind. And it That's was so instantly like, holy crap. Like I was dropping things and I was nervous and I was like sweating. And it was just like, it was completely, it took me by complete surprise that um, psychologically I didn't have that barrier. So I, I would start putting sunglasses on at least, um, even if it was inside, because at least that was one thing that I could have to separate me from the audience, like like my makeup did. Um, so so it was, you had it was, to learn to be yeah. Brian on stage. Yeah, you re I really did. It was a complete mind shift. Um, oh, that's fascinating. And, yeah, and, and I really didn't expect it. Like I was like, I booked this. It was like a um, a grand opening for a Bank of America, and uh, they didn't want it as a clown. They just wanted like a juggler, like to to do walk around. And and I was like, okay. So I, I got this, you know, this fun outfit. It was almost very clowny. I think it was actually my clown pants at one point, and I had like a tank top with like suspenders and like you know I used to be like jacked, so I was like you know muscles and stuff like that. And I didn't I didn't have any makeup, and I was just like walking around juggling and stuff. And then. I realized that like after about five minutes, people were bored of me just juggling, you know, it was like, oh, that guy's just walking around juggling. So it was like, I started to get self-conscious and I started to like sweat and drop and like and drop my clubs when I was trying to do a trick. And it was just, it was a mess. And I just realized, I was like, oh my God, like real self-conscious. And I'd never like, at that point I'd been performing for over six years. I'd never had that problem, you know? And that's one of the things that like, I now can see when you do like certain, th like act going back to acting classes, why they make you do, do things like, Walk around like an animal for 20 minutes and be it, you know, don't do it jokingly. Be an actual giraffe walking around or, yeah. or why they make you do so many of these things that don't see. Same thing with improv that don't seem like they help. What they do is they teach you to learn to not be embarrassed. Yeah. That way, when you act in front of people, whether it's on a camera or on a stage, you can go big and you can do these things. You can be emotional and you have already learned to not be self-conscious. Yeah. Uh, and it's fascinating to hear that 
now that you're you're like it is one thing when you're like a clown you're dressed up and they're like oh whatever clown you're like all right they don't like clowns whatever i don't care now there's no yeah. makeup if they don't like what you're doing it's like oh they don't like me they don't like brian yeah right uh, and, and that's the same a- thing with stand-up where it's like if you know when if if somebody doesn't laugh at my jokes it's not that they don't think that oh uh, what i said was funny it's they don't think i'm funny right because so much of humor is intrinsically tied to the person that you are. Like nobody has ever said, "Ugh, I hate that guy. He's such a jerk. I wish he was dead." But he's really funny. Nobody says that ever. Yeah. You know? So it's it, in my world, I understand that. I've never had stage fright because I've been acting since a small kid. I've always been a presence and a personality, and I tell people when they're like, "Oh, what made you want to be a stand-up comedian?" I go, I can't imagine not being a Santa comedian. What I'm doing on stage is the thing that I was doing at parties, was the things I was doing in class, in the hallways between classes, in my everyday life. What I'm doing on stage is what I've always been doing. So for me to get on stage was never a problem. Right. The problem that I always have is being judged by my peers. Like yeah. there's still comedians here in Boston that I can't perform if I know they're in the audience because I know inside their head they're secretly judging me. Or, you know, depression and anxiety, that's also my problem too, but... So yeah, that's but it, it's but so it goes both ways with that side. Just yeah. to speak on that real quick, still, yeah, that that is also um, one of the like 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 I said before, I've I've performed thousands of shows for millions of people. Uh-huh. The highlights are are amazing, but for me personally, the highlight of my uh, performing career was when I got to do like a roast. Um, it was a clown college reunion. And we would like roast each other. And when I was picked to be a, a roaster, um, and I had never done stand up, and uh, you know, I, I'm always good at like you know, cutting people up and stuff. But um, <laughs> I've never done it professionally, and I never really did took a serious stab at it. And to um, to when I when I did it, I didn't know they were going to pick me to close it, and because <laughs> um, it was literally the first time I'd ever done it. And when I did it, I crushed it. And I, I was so nervous because these were all the people that I met. It was like my teachers from the circus. They were like clown college, you know, people that, that I'd worked with, my, you know, all my peers. Like, and these were some of the biggest names in the, in the industry. Like Penn Jillette was there, um, you know, Peter Potofsky, like all these great names. And, um, and I crushed it, man. Like I, I, like I, I put so much into it and like rehearsed it and everything like that. And it was it was like the defining moment of my life and nobody will have, nobody will ever see it except for that group of 300 people that was there, you know? And it was like all my peers and it meant so much more to me, um, like personally and, and professionally than anything I'd ever done. You know, I've been in movies, I've been on commercials, I've, I've done, you know, huge festivals. I've, I've done plenty of stuff in my life, but that moment was the pinnacle of my career as far as I'm concerned. Wow. Yeah. Let's see. That's all. Yeah. We all also always want the acceptance of our peers too. Yeah. Like you were saying, if you're juggling 10 items, it's because you want other jugglers to go, ah, 10 items, you made it. Yes. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Like, yeah. So what was the process of creating an original act for yourself? Because, uh, and I'm not throwing shade. I've watched your, your, you know, some of your corporate videos. By the way, I think we should update some of them. But oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> why, why, why fix what's not broken? Right? It some works. Some of them are still work. from like 2006. <laughs> but you there's things the that track I, marks. I see in like your act, and I've seen in other acts too. Like, there's a reason why I don't like most comi- uh, magicians because so many of them do the same act verbatim that somebody else does. It's really hard to make new original, especially when you're learning magical tricks, magical magic tricks and stuff like that. And the same thing with your performing with, with some performers like that. Like, uh, 
I'll, I'll tell you one of my most famous favorite jugglers is a guy named Mark the Knife Fay, mm-hmm. F-A-J-E. And the reason I love him is because I he does things that I've never seen anyone else do. His big, huge act was also he claims to be the world's most dangerous comedian. Uh, he's just a juggler. And he is banned in countries for juggling flaming chainsaws. There's a thing that you're never going to see. I don't know if I've ever actually seen him juggle flaming chainsaws, but he always talks about it. That's just yeah. a gimmick to him that, that works. But his, his big closing act is he balances a lawnmower on his chin mm-hmm. while audience members throw, throw. heads of lettuce into mm-hmm. the thing. I was like, I've never seen that before. His jokes, his gags, like he does so many of these things. Like he puts fix knives into a bowling ball, sets it on fire and kicks it from his foot and lands it on his head while having a scorpion in his pants. A lot of that is very over-the-top decadent sensationalism, but it's also, he just does things that I've never seen anyone else do. The amount of sword-swallowing acts that I hear talk about deep doing deep, deep-throating jokes is like, all right, cool, yeah, we get it. Okay, give, give me something I haven't seen before. Yeah. But knowing the business, you're going to see things that, like, uh, the, the one thing that I saw was the, the four people that all sit and lean against mm-hmm. each other. That's a thing I've seen in plenty of other places. Yep. It's a standard it's a thing you kind of have to do, you know, because like that, you know, like, so I'm not throwing shade at you when no. you do that, but I'm curious as to how do you find the original things that are like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm going to do the standards. I'm going to do the classics, but I'm also going to do this Brian Dangerous act. That is me and only me does it. Right. So, so basically it goes back to like what we were saying at the very beginning, like everything's been done like that, mm-hmm. that we, we call it, we call it in the circus, we call it the buckets or the chairs. Um, it was one of those things that you just knew was a good go-to if an emergency, mm-hmm. say like an acrobat fell and they, they would call on the clowns. They play a certain, they played 12th street rag. And that's how we knew there was an emergency out on the floor. We'd have to stop what we were doing, grab whatever we could and go out and like divert attention. So um, a lot of times we would do that and we would pull like audience members and stuff like that. Um, hey, everybody, forget about what's going on over there. Pay yeah. attention to this. Yeah, mi- no, they're not dead. Anyway, who, yeah. wants, who, who wants to help on a magic trick? It's very real. That was very real. <laughs> that happened. You, you, you say it like candidly like that, but it, it's, that is the exact <laughs> process that, that was going on. Um, cause we would, we'd have like high wire walkers that would fall and things like that. And it, cause it's live entertainment. You mm-hmm. have to, you have to have a plan in place. So basically you take things that have already been done and you, and you put a twist on them. So for that, like we would do it with those buckets instead of chairs because buckets can stack inside of each other. They're easy to carry. Um, but what would make it say like when I do it, what makes it mine, which doesn't even really make it mine because uh, I've done it with other friends that have pretty much created this part. But since I did it with them and I, I, I added some of my own elements to it, I would then take it and put it in my show. And so even though he's doing it pretty much the same way, I'm doing it the pretty much the same way there are, like verbiage is different or like some of the character parts are different. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. A lot of people do it. So I'll do it. I'll, I'll, I'll um, bring people onto stage and I'll, I'll put them in different hats. And at the end, they look like the, the village people from the YMCA <laughs> and like, we'll get them to do the YMCA dance. And then, um, and then we'll sit them down and do the buckets as a, as a finale part. But like um, for me, I'll, I'll really only do that if, if I have to kind of stretch. So say like if I have a 45 minute show or they want a 60 minute show, um, I'll do that. Cause it's the parts that, you know, are kind of played out and they are kind of done everywhere else, but it's like things that, you know, that you can do no problem. It's going to kill and, um, it's audience participation. So there's going to be time involved. So you're going to kill time as well. There's so many 
different aspects to it. So um, for the most part, it, it's like you have tons of material that you know you can pull from if you need to pull from it. So what what I do as far as when, when, when I'm putting my show together, it's like I know all of that stuff. So it's like, okay, all that stuff's like canned material. Like I, I definitely can do that. So I know if, if there's like a current... Um, like nowadays, especially like if something's trending, like if a song is trending or something like that, we'll try to like use that as inspiration for one of the bits. So instead, like like when, when Gangnam Style was, was popular, like we added that into the show and we did like a funny audience participation part. So for me, it's really kind of like using what's, what's kind of current and what's trending now and kind of adding what I do to that. Um, and, and, and that's kind of my, my formula. But there are a lot of things that that I do that I've just been doing for 25 years and there, there definitely can be, it can be updating, but like the amount of time it takes to like technically bring a trick from like a five ball to a six ball. People don't understand like to add that six ball in and get good at it. It's going to take about six months, you know, yeah. of constant practice to be able to get it to, to be show ready. So it's much easier to take stuff that you already know and then just kind of tweak it than it is to pour six months into it. So like the guys that are like younger, that don't have families that are still like, traveling and doing their show like every single night and that have the whole entire day to do nothing but but practice those are the guys that are going to keep innovating it's guys like me that have a family and that have you know a mortgage to pay and have bills to pay and like um can do you know 20 to 30 shows a year instead of 300 um we're gonna be the ones that are kind of we know what it takes to entertain a crowd and like i can step on stage with nothing i can step on there with with a chair uh, a rope and a baseball hat and I'll give you 25 minutes and it's going to be funny. Like I have that kind of confidence as compared to somebody that's coming up and they're like, well, I'm going to need five balls to juggle. I'm going to need, you know, all these other things. Like and I have this whole list and it's like, I, I'm going to be able to take three things and make it funny and do 25 killer minutes. No problem. And I have that confidence. And, um, the other guys are the ones they're, they're going to pioneer things, but they just don't have the time and invested in it yet. So they're still the ones that are like practicing like madmen. I, I, I kind of rambled, but like that. That's but no, you're the, right. Like you're, and you're right. Part of learning yeah. to get good at this is the innovativeness. Mm -hmm. Like you have to learn to do new things, not necessarily things that have never been done before, but new to you. Mm -hmm. And of course you always want to do them in new ways. And if you're a good performer, you're going to do it your way, a way that's personal to you. Like I, I always say the best comedians, every comedian has joke structure. Every joke has structure. There's a setup, there's a punchline, and there's a tag. That is how jokes work. And everyone's like, yeah, no, but somebody, so-and-so doesn't use joke format. Like, yeah, they do. They just hide it better than you do. That's right. why they're the greats. You know, like the, 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 the old cliche of, oh, every comedian has jokes about the airline, so there's nothing new to write about airlines. No, there is from your own perspective, your own personality, your own thoughts. Hopefully your thoughts and your perspectives are original enough, and you can write. Like, there's no things that, are, that haven't... There's still ter plenty of joke territory everywhere to go. You just have to learn what is going to be unique to you to do it. Right. And unfortunately, it's the same thing with all kinds of performance art. I love when I want, I love Penn and Teller, since you mentioned them. Uh, I love watching Fooled Us because what they do is they go, hey, you're doing this classic trick that mm -hmm. everybody knows how it's done, but you figured out a new way of doing it. Even right. though all the mechanics are the same, your presentation. That's is really different. what it is. You know, yeah. like I'm so sick of hearing about storytelling, but they're, they're you're not wrong when we keep saying that, like you're, 
telling a story. You have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You know, like you're, you, that's whatever your beginning is. You have to have a payoff at the end of it. That's what yeah. make the tricks best. Like, okay, cool. You found my card. But if you can find yeah. my card in a fun, interesting, different way that made me forget that I was going to have to remember a card. Hey, you just did something better than somebody else did. Uh, and I'm, right. It's very similar with you. You're, like, you're performing in a way. Like that life experience that you have as being a father, I'm sure that plays into, like you said it earlier. When you mm-hmm. go back and talk, you're like, hey, everybody, here's my daughter, Hannah. Go ask her questions. Go, hey, everybody, yeah. ask how well she did on her math test today. Like, yeah. I can't, I, you know, as a comedian, I can't go, hey, everybody, I'm going to take a break real quick. Ask the sound guy um, how his day was. That, that doesn't work in my world. Right. It works in your world and only works with you because you're one of the, f- how many performers have their daughter working sound for them? You know? <laughs> yeah. Granted, any performer could just go, create a bit with the sound guy, but right. you created a personal bit between you, your daughter, and now the audience. Mm-hmm. And that's beautiful to hear. Um, Cause I was going to ask you about how much at this point has fatherhood played into your career as a clown. And I'm obviously some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, definitely uh, a, a lot. There was uh so, so when I, when I left Vegas and I, I'd gotten remarried and actually had kids and, and moved to Myrtle Beach, we moved to Myrtle Beach to do um, clown shows for, for um, it was an area here called the Pavilion, which was like a, a Coney Island style theme park. Um, and my kids were real young, you know, so we would incorporate them into the gags. Not necessarily only my kids, but everybody had kids. That, that, and, and like, so we would like, we would bring them up on stage. We would use them for different parts. And, and like, so that part was awesome because they got to they got to be part of the show or, and they were always watching and things like that but then as they get older you know and, and again we st- I stepped away from from being a clown and, and just doing like my, my brian dangerous show um my my youngest daughter like really enjoyed it so she was just like from the young from the from an early stage she would know my show and she would actually be the one like when I came off stage, she'd be like, well, you forgot to do this joke and you forgot to do that joke. And you said this one at a different time. And I'm just like, holy crap. Like she knew the show better than I did. So it, it was just a natural transition where she would be like, let me run your sound. I can, I can do the sound for you. So literally I got pictures of her when she was probably like six and she's there with my iPhone and she's like pressing the next button and pressing. And she was wait, she'd wait for the audience to laugh and she knew the reactions and she knew the timing. Like, and so it, it was just amazing. So like, um, and of course, being, being a father, it gives you more material, like automatically it gives you things to pull off of in scenarios, especially I'm, I'm sure for like, for your profession, mm-hmm. like, like with comedy, um, I talk about like this real, a lot. Paul Versey, yeah. uh, a comedian, uh, he's Bill, he's like Bill Burr's disciple. He said on mm-hmm. this podcast, we were talking about fathers. Like he's like, being a father has only enriched my material. Now I'm doing a Paul Versey, uh, New York accent. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's, it's only enriched my material because I have yeah. a real life to talk about. Whereas like right. twenty year olds, all they know is their dick and getting laid. So that's why our other jokes about getting is about their dicks. Right. I have a full, much more relatable material, and that's true. Living a lot, like especially in comedy, you have to live a life that's worth talking about. Right. And in your profession, you have to live a life that's worth bringing into your act. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and 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 it's funny because uh, lately, uh, I think. Also, it, half because I'm I'm getting older, I'm getting lazy. Uh, so I, I want to shift from carrying so many props when I fly across the country to do a corporate event to like just maybe doing a little bit more comedy, a little more stand up in it. 
so I, I've been writing a lot more stand up and uh, and it has been like life experiences and different things that I pull from and 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 it's interesting you say that like the the younger comedians because I watch them too like on on TikTok and stuff I follow a lot of different comedians and and to see what they're talking about as opposed to you can tell like the older worldly ones um, and 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 the the jokes are just so much like have so much more depth and, and, and they're funnier on a whole nother level. Like everybody loves a dick joke, like whatever, you know, you, you know, it, you're always going to get, but laugh, if you can but... tell me a dick joke, that's personal to you. Yeah. Ah, not <laughs> your not, personal dick. That's not what not, I, <laughs> now we have comedy magic. So, um, yeah, it's definitely, well, since you brought it up, I'll just skip to the last question. Uh, so you mentioned earlier, you're 44, I'm 41. Mm-hmm. I can tell jokes for, as long as I don't lose my voice, I can tell jokes forever. Yep. You know, Bob Hope was, uh, you know, Famously performing through the uh, practice the day he died. Mm-hmm. Joan Rivers was literally performing until the day she died, um, and the only reason she died was a tragic, horrible mishap during surgery. Yeah. Um, and she'd still be performing right now if she was alive. But for you, I'm sure a lot of your act is less physical now than it was when 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of physicality in your act. Yeah. You're outside in the hot and the heat in the Mid Atlantic summers where it's. You know, 90, 95 degrees and 90% humidity in May, mm-hmm. you know, and then you have four more months of that. I'm sure that's weighing on you. So what's yeah. the future for Brian Dangerous? You uh, mentioned I, that you're starting to write a lot more stand-up. Will you be making that transition into maybe being a full-time stand-up? Will you yeah. go back to acting? Because I'm curious. You had a, you, I didn't know you had scholarships for acting at the college. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. yeah. Dude, you could be the Chris... You understand you're the same age. Chris Evans and I are the same age, right? Like, I think I'm I think I'm think two months older than Chris Evans, or he's two months older than me. Like, he was born in 81. I'm born in 81. You could fucking have been Captain America. Like, you know that, right? Like, if you don't go to clown college and you went to acting school, you could have been in L.A. You could yeah. fucking have been Johnny Storm turned Captain America Steve Rogers. I'm just saying. Man. You, yeah. you got the blonde hair, blue eyes for it, bro. You yeah. had the physique. I don't want to make you regret any of your life decisions, but I'm just saying you had the chops, you know, potentially had the, you had the chops and I've worked with Chris Evans. All right. Worked. I, I did background on two things with him. Anyway, you did some walking. Yeah, <laughs> I did literally. Oh, I, you should, I'm going to send you a link to my acting reel. You're going to fucking die. Laughing. I've seen it. Oh. I've seen it. Yeah. It's, yes. it's hysterical. My background for hire. That makes me, that made me laugh so hard when I saw that. Cause it was like, this is perfect too. Cause it's like, that is what it's like, you know? Oh, that was, that was uh, but, Yeah. One of them is with Chris Evans and me just a blur in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that blur. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so anyway, point being, um, so what's the future? Are you, are you going to d- double down acting, stand up? Are you going to go into teaching? You have a plethora of knowledge. And you said earlier, your plan may have gone to just go to liberal arts school and come out as an acting teacher. Is yeah. Are you going to be a clown teacher? Have you given thought to these kinds of things? Well, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of possibilities. Like, like for me, the last like two years basically was, I've, I've kind of put everything on hold to just kind of get my, my youngest daughter like through high school and, and she's going to college now in a couple weeks. So I'm sure um, also everything's on hold for a dumb thing called, um, <laughs> COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, I mean, but I, I mean, I actually performed like in South Carolina, they didn't really, like, they, they were, oh, South you mean Carolina, the South didn't take mask rules seriously? Oh, okay, I'm sorry. South Carolina was closed for like four weeks, and then it was like Myrtle Beach, baby. Like, like literally, like it has been balls to the wall since. Like, I've I've performed pretty pretty much both years of COVID so far, but um, 
but what was crazy was I was actually performing in a resort down in Cancun when right before COVID became this the, the mass pandemic. And it was like the sweet life, man. I was doing uh, five nights a week and, and at different resorts all over Cancun doing my show, you know, living the, living the high life. And then everything is like, well, like in America, everything started closing. And then they were finally like, oh, we're going to start closing airports. So the, the Mexican <laughs> government was like, well, I guess we should probably start closing resorts. So it wasn't until they started closing resorts. And they're like, all right, Brian, you got to go home. And so I was like, <laughs> but it was like, man, I was like, you know, I had this whole, the, the contract to go, like come back for a month and then go back there for another three months. It was just a sweet, sweet gig. And then all of a sudden, COVID, you know. But um, but then I came here and I, 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 it was down for a little bit. But then I performed last year. I performed this year. So it hasn't been too bad for me, but I know a lot across, you know, uh, most of the world, it, a lot of my in-person friends um, that performing has kind of took a standstill and they're starting to do it now. But I think for me, um, what what I've been trying to wrap my brain around is especially, um, I, I love doing my solo show, um, but it is, but to do 45 minutes of high energy um, running around like, like a madman it, it, it takes a toll on you for sure. So um, it, it's always been a lot, a lot more fun for me to work with a partner. So I have two, two different guys that I work with. Um, my buddy Andrew up in Pennsylvania, um, where we have a, a duo act called the Blue, the Blue Tie Guys. Um, and it's um, probably at least an hour and a half of material between the two of us. And then my buddy Jim, uh, who is, he's currently doing his solo show, um, traveling the world right now with uh, tattoo conventions. So he's doing his half hour show for tattoo conventions. And I just got to see him up in Raleigh and he, he's got a great show. Um, but we have a show called uh, Jim and him. So it, both of those uh, shows are much easier on me physically because when the other person's doing their part, you get to take a break. Whereas if I'm doing my solo show, like I'm out there and I can't like, Hey, give me a, give me a second. I'm just going to, let me stop and uh, take my, take my puff on my, you know, like, <laughs> You know, like that—that's it's just not as professional. So, um, so no, that's I think, the juggling act. That's yeah, the new juggling act. You're juggling. Like, all right, 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 this is a little puff, and then like, you're now juggling your asthma inhaler and taking puffs while doing it. There's the there new act. All right, there you go. You I'll, just I'll take it. a three percent commission for that act. All right, go ahead. That's, that's, you're gonna be able to put the rest of your uh, family through college with that, <laughs> with the royalties from that one. Um, but no, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna chat them up and. Uh, See if we can't get some uh, some corporate dates uh, between the the three of us, me, me rotating both both of them, and I think that will ease my uh, my stress as far as like um, the physical part of it. Because I mean, I'm in decent shape, but it's still it is it's it's getting to be the part where like it, it makes it um, not as enjoyable for me. So, and I really think I have quite a bit of a shelf life left. And then also, um, like I said, I've been writing more more stand up. So. The hard part for me is um, I know in my brain that if I write clean comedy, <laughs> that I'll be able to get booked a lot easier for the corporate side. But I am naturally a dirty guy. So it's like, <laughs> and the dirty stuff for me is always so much funnier. Um, so that's the kind of ebb and flow that I'm struggling with in my head. But um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, I could see probably, you know, maybe a decade down the line, doing just probably mostly stand up. Um, and, and then, you know, I, I'm, I'm always going to be able to juggle as long as I have my hands, I guess. So throwing, you know, maybe just some visual stuff in just, uh, you know, it's kind of like little, some little extra stuff to, to make the audience happy, you know, put my hat on my head, my, on my nose or something, you know, balance some stuff just to kind of set myself apart from, from everybody else. That's, 
that's doing things. But, you know, um, that, that stuff will always be there. But as far as, like, running through the audience at full speed with an axe that's on fire and laying down with it, you know, probably, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's got a shelf life of a couple more years, I think. So that's, Well, it's that's also, probably... like, it's not impressive to uh, light an axe and uh, on fire and balance it on your chin when the entire world is on fire. Yeah, yeah, they're like, yeah, you know. I love the self uh, retrospective uh, that 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 you, that you have. Like, there's so many performers that like self awareness is so important in the entertainment industry. Yeah, and it, it it's it's important to growth, but it's also at the same time dangerous to your mental health. Sometimes self over over self awareness. Like, there has to be a right amount of self awareness. Like, you have to be self aware enough to know that what you're doing is good, what you're doing is bad, how to adjust it. The amount of comedians that I meet that come off stage. And do five minutes to fucking, mm. and then Walker was like, "Hey, that went great." I'm like, did you not hear what happened? How can you think that that went great? Right? Were we on the same stage? Yeah. Or? Like, I've all like, and I know what I'm not supposed to be doing, but you have to kind of do this. Is I can't compare my trajectory to other people's trajectory, but also at the same time, I have to realize that when the comedian went up before me, I have to understand the level of his laughs. And if mm-hmm. my laugh level of laughs aren't equal or greater than, then I'm not doing as good of a performance as that person is. Right. I have to figure out why. Tons of factors go into that. Is yeah. my act not tight enough? Was I not doing it right? And is this just not my audience? Yeah. Is this group of people just not going to be on board with me no matter what I do? Because that is a huge, like, we don't talk about it enough. Like, yeah. we mentioned it in acting. It's like, hey, if you... If they wanted to hire a person with brown hair for the role and you have red hair, TS, you have to just learn that's what it is. But outside of that, at the same time, when we really talk about the the physical look of things, that is the thing that I've had to deal with as a comedian a lot is when I come on stage is I always talk about this, that I physically represent all the things that we as a society were told to hate. I'm short, I have glasses, I'm bald, I'm overweight. These are, that's four strikes for four strikes. Whereas, like, we've always, it's always okay to make fun of the short, fat, bald guy with glasses. Like, remember growing up, I was like, oh, four eyes, fatty, fatty, four by four, can't fit through the kitchen door. Oh, you're short. You're, like, Tinder still today. If you're under 5'9", don't even swipe right. It's like, look, I was also a rock climbing instructor, and I can mount you like a shipper on Everest. All right, lady who's 5'11", you don't intimidate me. Anyway, you're missing out, but... What I'm saying is, <laughs> is that so that always works at me. I'm very boisterous. I'm broad-shouldered. Even though I'm small, I take up space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you can feel my presence coming into a room. Those are a lot of things that can turn people off. And my first few years of comedy, I had to learn to use those disadvantages to my advantage. Yeah. I had to learn to how to ease people into these things about me and sometimes i still screw up i come out with too much big energy and they just go whoa yeah. all right let's yeah. uh you know it's like the, the, those are things that you some people like handsome people don't have to deal with that like well, well, there's the, a there's... Uh, who is it that oh uh greg Barron uh and cy amundsen said on their podcast uh don't take bullshit from fuckers by the way it's okay to curse on my podcast uh their podcast don't take bullshit from fuckers we're talking about uh the bachelor and all, so many of the ba- like women on The Bachelor are like, oh my God, he's so funny. And it's like, he hasn't said anything funny. Is it he's funny or is he 6'3"? And that's why yeah. I think he's funny. Yeah, it's true. I, and and I, for me, it, it took a long time to realize this. But like you were saying, like you can, you can tell people that stuff or if you're teaching them, 
you can you can tell them that that exists, but they're never going to get it until they have their time in. Mm-hmm. So like you have your time in, and you've been working on your craft, and you've been working in different um, venues and different areas uh, still pertaining to your craft. I've been putting the time in, and you know we've got decades in. That kind of experience is going to generate a level of comfortability that you're not going to be able to teach. You just have to do it. So, mm-hmm. so you can tell people to, to expect that, and um, they're still going to go in. Like you said, they need to make those mistakes themselves to learn from them, uh, or else they're never going to reach that level of comfortability. Because I was telling you before, like I, I could, I can comfortably go in front of an audience with a piece of rope, a chair, and a, and a baseball hat and give them 25 minutes. And it's not because I'm the best in the world. It's because I've reached such a level of comfortability with an audience and with people and, 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 and what I am capable of doing. I'm confident in my skills and I, I can just go out there and do it. And it, and it, it kind of translates like a bunch of different areas. Um, I was doing a, a uh, a festival a couple of years ago at a college campus in uh, in Atlanta, and it was raining. It was an outdoor festival, it was like a hot air balloon festival. It was pretty cool. Um, but the majority of the performers were there. They were all extremely talented. Lots of like athletic and and um, uh, acrobatic ability, but they were all very new to the live performance. Like like most of them had been practicing their whole lives, and this was either like their second or third paid gig. But, you know, it was pretty big and it, it happened to be raining really bad that day. And a lot of the stages were outdoors um, and people were getting ready, like, like no covered um, part of the stage or anything. Like the stage is soaking wet and stuff like that. And these people are doing like hand to hand, you know, balancing and stuff like that. And they're like, oh, and they're like all this timid about um, should we go out there? And then I'm like, I went out. There, I was just like, absolutely not. Like mm-hmm. you have to know you have to have a certain amount of shows behind you to know you can go out on that stage and look at it and be like, it's just not safe. So it, that translates into so many different parts of your life. So it's not just performing, but it's also safety mm-hmm. for like people that are doing things that you could risk your life. I mean, one false move and, you know, they could get dropped on their head and be paralyzed or killed. So like I wasn't the stage manager. I wasn't the festival organizer, but I was there with enough knowledge to know that I've done a hundred festivals outside and that that area was not safe. And if anybody wanted to have a problem with it, they could come talk to me because I'm the one that told them not to do it. And like, that that opinion was respected enough to know like it wasn't just uh i'm telling them you don't want to do it because i'm lazy or you you know you, it's raining or this it was like it was a safety issue so yeah. it, it th- that kind of experience translates into so many different parts of your life and you just need to be okay uh, you need to own it and you need to kind of like uh, to to show people what to expect in the in the realm of entertainment it's not just um because i've been doing it for so long that you have to respect me. It's because I know what I'm talking about. You know, like I, I'm not going to let you put yourself in a bad light. Same thing with other comedians. Like, you know, it, I'm sure there's different instances that would, you know, lend themselves to your mm-hmm. your area too. Well, it's from, just, for my industry, it's, we're not physical. I can go stand out in the rain in front of people and talk. I'm not going to worry about losing my life. But what I will right. worry about, because my, and I'm a huge advocate for mental health. I've been mm-hmm. open throughout this talking about my own anxiety, depression, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that's where I have to be acutely aware of putting myself in situations that are losing situations. Example, open mics. I don't need, like, recently, uh, here's a great example. Recently I had an open mic, um, which is where comedians, like, for us, that's our workshop. You know, that's where we we have to go out Mm -hmm. and fail in front of people to know if our jokes are good or not. You can sit in, you know, a warehouse and practice your bits over and over and over to the perfect, go out and do them. Yay! You don't have to fail in front of people the way that we do. Right. 
But for for me, I'm not going to put myself in an open mic situation that's not going to be advantageous to what I'm writing. So a great example was I showed up at 7 o'clock for an open mic. I didn't go on stage. I was literally the last name pulled out of the bucket. First person there, last name pulled out of the bucket. It's 11.45 at night. I've been here for four and a half hours, almost five hours, right? And they call my name and I went, nah, I'm good. I turned around and went, who here hasn't gone up yet? And guy raised his hand and was like, hey, Sean, put him up instead. Uh, are you sure? Like, yeah, put this kid up. All right. And, the re- and we're like, why are you don't want to go up? You've been here for five hours. Why don't you want to go? I was like, I'm not going to get anything out of this. There's no audience members left. Just a room full of colleagues, comics, half of whom don't know me. Right. My What I need out of my material is to know if it's funny or not. I need the energy of the crowd because I'm a stage writer. This is a losing situation for me. This is, I'm going to walk away from this more depressed and ideology of suicide, not to be flippant about it, that, that you know, I will have more ideologies of suicide walking out after doing my five minutes here than if I just leave now. This is not beneficial to my act and my mental health. I need to work jokes in front of audiences. There's no audience here. Waste my time. This kid needs to learn how to stand on stage, needs to learn how to hold a microphone, needs to learn to move the mic stand out in front of him. He needs to learn to talk in front of people, both his peers and strangers. This time is more beneficial to him than it's me. You know, and that's honestly that right there is my it's too dangerous to go out in the rain and perform thing. Like it really is like we don't talk about mental health enough. Mm -hmm. I'm very open in my act about mental health um, and a lot of my issues and stuff. And I'm a huge proponent for 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 mental health, Um, just as you are. You have to be an advocate for physical health um, for, for stuff. So it's like I completely understand that that. Yeah. But again. The amount of people that go into these losing situations still even and then come yeah. out of it feeling worse than they went in, it's because they don't have the, the, the self-awareness of, I need to do the things that are beneficial to me. Yeah, and that's only going to come with, with the time put in and, and, and putting yourself in those situations and realizing it later, like, I shouldn't have put myself in that situation. It's not going to happen next time. And, and there's making sure it doesn't happen next time. And there's too many podcasts about comedians talking about, and you need to, buy, and I'm going to do my Bill Burr impression, and you need to go out on those stages and fail to learn to get better. Like, no, you need to be in situations where you need to learn to get better. You don't yeah. need to, like, put your, like, the amount of people that I watch, like, the, the big cliche in the comedy industry is, like, you got to do as many open mics as possible. Mm, but do you? It's about, comedy is not about quantity. It's about the quality. Yeah, it's not always no. a buckshot approach. You can learn quality through quantity only if you're focusing on quality. Like the guys who go out, you, okay, cool, you did five open mics tonight, but you did the exact same four minutes, five different places, five, four, 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 the same way four times at four different places in front of four different people, and nothing in your act changed, grew, or developed. You just did the same four minutes to silence five times, and now you're going to do the same four minutes to silence five different places tomorrow. Right. What did you get out of, the, uh, yeah. out of this? Uh, and then last, and now that I'm done with my mental health rant, the last question I'm going to uh, ask you about uh, is because this is particular to you and you only as a father and a clown when you're at, when you're taking a hand to, to the birthday party and the parents are all standing around or when you're standing in line at the, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the bus deep over whatever, when you're standing out in the parking lot at the school waiting for the kids to come out and you talk to the other parents and they ask you what you do. You tell him a clown. How is that reaction? Like, I, I got to imagine you get some of the same questions over and over. You get where he looks. I'm sure they all want to have a good joke for you. Like, what's the experience of being a father and a clown when it comes to other parents? 
Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny too. Like I I, I don't I don't really ever tell people I'm a clown. <laughs> I tell them that I was a clown, um, but now like I'll tell them that you know I'm a comedy juggler. Um, I think it's a little bit easier for me to uh, transition that into something a little bit more modern um, and doesn't have as much of a stigma. But uh, funny, funny instance was um, the last like couple of years I've been going to all my daughter's games, all the all of Hannah's uh, basketball, volleyball, and soccer games, and you know I'm trying to make every one. And like people in the stands, they see me and they're like, "Oh, okay." Like, hey, what, what what does your dad do? Like, you know, like it's all the time. He's like, "Oh, you know, he's a performer." Well, the her last year, her senior year, just just finished up, and they they needed one more fundraiser uh, for the end of the year to kind of help them for the senior trip over the top. And she's like, "My dad will do a show," and they're like, "What?" <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, he'll totally do a show for us, and we can charge money at the door and and raise money that way." And and the principal was like, "What does your dad do?" It's <laughs> like no idea, you know. And so I actually did a show for her school and helped like a fundraiser, and so that from that day on, they all knew exactly what I did. And uh, so it was. It was pretty cool. Like that. That they they got to see it because they they never really knew. You know, they just knew that I was always there. So it it was interesting to not only be able to tell them, but to show them and and to like make it beneficial for them. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, because me as a comedian, I'm, I I want to tell everyone I'm a comedian, but also at the same time, you get the same shit. Like when when I'm working a day job and they find out mm-hmm. somebody finds out I'm a comedian, every funny thing I say, they now go oh. Dennis is a comedian, people. He, he's, he's here telling jokes. And it's like, yeah. no, I'm a comedian because I'm fucking funny. I'm not telling this joke right now because I'm a comedian. I am a comedian because this is what I can do. And I'm using my skill set in real yeah. life. And I, I, you know, there's times when I'm traveling and I don't want to hear people ask me the same th- same question. I was like, oh, you're a comedian, huh? They Driving an Uber and go, so who's your top three favorite comedians? People you've never heard of. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's I've picked people you've never heard of. So when I tell you, you don't ask me any more questions. All right. right. I said Bobcat Goldwave, so you went, you mean the guy who yells a lot? Yes, because I yell a lot. Now stop asking questions. <laughs> Yeah, my dad though. My dad will still tell, still tell people that I'm a clown. Like, like uh, the bug man will come in and and I'll say something funny, and then my dad will be like, "Oh, you know he's a clown, right?" And I'm like, "Dad, I haven't been a clown in 20 years. Like, like literally 20 years, I haven't been a clown." But he'll still, you know, oh yeah, he's a clown, Barnum Bailey Circus. You know, just any, any chance to to tell people that I was a clown, he'll he'll, he'll do it for me. Which so. and that's the thing, like this is why I kind of empathize some with what you do and with other people who do clowning acts because so many people mistake comedians for clowns. Like the amount of times, like I can do a clean act, but I can't do an act for kids. Yeah, like kids will sit, they'll find me enjoyable. They're not going to understand much of what I said. They're not going to walk away with nightmares because of what I said, but it's not for them. All right, I can do a balloon animal. That's about I, I can make a I can make a, a a poodle and a snake. I can give the kids a balloon animal jump rope. That's that's what I can. That's the extent of my my ability to entertain yeah. children, you know. <laughs> but I, I'll entertain adults with clean humor. Yeah. So, all right, Brian, this has been a great talk. It was really great catching up. Yeah, because um, we live in a world of social media now, which we could talk hours about on, on uh, just the entertainment alone, but we just have these perception of what other people's lives are. And sometimes we're like, Oh, cause we post a lot. We're like, Oh yeah. So, so's life, Dennis, he's doing great because of this, that, and whatever. But then you also stop and think, and I was like, but I really don't know what's going on in their life. You right. know? And, and we sometimes forget because we see social media posts all the time that we're not actually really connecting with each other. Sometimes of yeah. course, some people, we still connect very you know, very distinctly because of this, that, whatever. But, you know, we, we sometimes forget that we're not really having 
human conversations with people because we see them. It's out of, they're not out of mind. They're in sight. It's just right. what they're doing in their life is not quite always in mind. So this was good to catch up with you. And it was good to get yeah, the uh, truth about what was going on. Because every once in a while, like, you would hear somebody go, hey, we're going to the circus next week. Brian's in town. Are you going to go to? It's like, no, I'm working or whatever. And it's like, you know, like, like I said, you know, like, I have my memories of, of being around you. Yeah. But that's really all, the, all I have are the memories of what I felt in those moments. Right. Um, and less about conversations. Except for, like, I think the one story you told about somebody doing a dry slip inside and coming out with his nipples uh, b- burned off and just wiping blood off of him. Which is also a story I should not have told on, uh, told to people right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't ever remember that. <laughs> yeah, anyway. We, we grew up in the jackass generation. It is, it is what it is. Wonderful talk. It was so in-depth about what the life is of going to clown college and living on a clown train and then also having to go it out on your own. So I'm sure uh, glad you were very open and honest about your conversation. It was really good to hear from you. Yeah, man. It was good to connect with you again. Thanks for having me on.